Don't look under the internet. Sink. Sink. <laughs> Sink. If you just keep pressing it, that's that's funny. That's funny. If you, if you beat a dead horse long enough, eventually it becomes a horse again. Right, right. It becomes that's glue. Does that's that work with? That's called necromancy. Does that work with glue? And then you can glue it back together. With <laughs> because horses are glue. Wait, wait. You think it. you think if you turned a if you think if you if you turned a horse into glue and then. How do we if you, okay, that? no, if you if you turned a horse into glue and poured that glue into a horse shaped mold, what it, is it the same horse? <laughs> this is a ship of a ship of uh, Venus or whatever. <laughs> Wait, are you are you about to go into the whole sh- like if you take a board uh, like the boards yeah, the out ship of a ship? Of Venus, God damn it! But, it, but I, if you smash that ship into a fine sawdust and then. <laughs> You t- and then you, you mix it with a bunch of glue and put it into a ship uh, shaped mold. It's it's a ship. Welcome to Don't Look Under the Internet, everybody. Of Holy shit, that might be the first time you've had to get us on track. I, speaking like speaking that, of horses, anyway. Did you know that that old gray mare ain't what she used, what it used to be? Hey, everybody boo Mike if you're in your car if you're in your car or wh- wherever you're listening to this just boo really loud don't do that and say fuck you Mike I am Mike that's dumb thanks everyone hey. for doing that hey Mike how are you doing today <laughs> I've had a day <laughs> awesome mm-hmm. I'm sorry man what happened mm-hmm. no it's just a, it's a it's a big stressful week that I'm ready to okay. be done with, and it's only Tuesday. It's only I'm, Tuesday. I'm, I'm living that that meme that what a week, eh, uh, Captain? It's Wednesday. <laughs> I'm living that, but it's only Tuesday. <laughs> so damn. Well, yeah, I'm glad, we're glad time. you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here too. Uh, uh, not only is it me here, but that's Doug. Yes. I. No, that's Doug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve you're right, Doug. <laughs> Okay, great. Do you not see him? He's right. I'm... That's Jason. What is... what? Hello. Hello. <laughs> we had a thing going. I fucked it up. Try again. Start again, Mike. Ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try again. That's Doug. Yeah. That's that's Jason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this that's Moot. Welcome to Don't Look Under the Internet. <laughs> Welcome. And I love this. Love this. Mike. Who do we have with us today? I'm here with. Oh, you just have Mike today. I know. Sucks. Deal with it. (laughs) But not even. Not even a. Not not even even a TMZ. No No. TMZ. You could have. Hang on. When was the last time you've done that? Hang on. Name a woman. Any woman. Hang on. Name a woman. (laughs) I want to get something out of the way first. I want to get a little bit of old fashioned Diluty. Housekeeping. Clap above your head. So. I have something else after this, but I want to get these done real fast. So we have four oh, names. It's to time shout to out. play. Is your name good or stupid as hell? 
Exactly. <laughs> this is, we this have is the best. Huggin five four six. Huggin. Mm. Huggin. Honestly, it's mm. it's the it's the double consonants that do it for me. Huggin. It's, Huggin. It's, it's halfway there. Like yeah, like Bon Jovi said. The word. <laughs> Huggin. What though? Like the number five is four six. They, uh, we we really need like a like a like oh yeah. I'll work on it I'll find something we have, I just got access to a and lot of, or something hugging and thugging so hugging. we're giving it a big old thumbs down thumpy hugs that's another thing we should do we should suggest an alternative like here's what you should be named <laughs> hugging change your name to hugging and thugging or can something we, can we do that with real people's names Jason, yeah we should actually name. veto. Can we veto Mike's name? <laughs> well, I think my name just got fucking vetoed. <laughs> just, boop. I'm gonna keep going. All right, <laughs> Go ahead, man. We have Jennifer Varnador. So it's That's just, just her your name. name. It's just That's her just, name. Yeah, she should have been named Emily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, this no, is you're yes. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, should have been Emily. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, she sounds more like an Emily. Probably need a new last name too, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of those out there. I don't, I don't have one. Spirit. Emily Shuffins. What about Shmuppet? Shunt. All right, Mike, if you don't keep going, we're going to keep doing this. <laughs> How about Lilith Shunt as a name? <laughs> What's that middle part? Lilith Shunt. Is like the Lilith of Lilith? If you can spell it, we'll legalize it. We have ZM. Okay. That's it? ZM? ZM. Well, it's like TM, but like better. Zademark? Yeah, it's Zademarked. <laughs> all right and i guess then, i'll take that one and then we also have holy trick and it's got like a cool holy. thing like brackets kind of i saw this thumbs up on that oh they it's got these, the weird they, text they, they use these like little little, yeah. little dingle dongles the alt yeah. text on the, on, on the thing yeah well thank you you four that's very kind of you to give us some money especially in these trying times when we money is worth money money is, is worth worse money. than the others though <laughs> Yeah, Doug is real, real upset about one of you. Fucking Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't um, going to say it. If you, sorry, Jennifer, you are terrible. If you would like to give to the Patreon and see a bunch of bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash Pod. You can chuck in something or, or nothing. Cool. And if you do the nothing, then you do, you get nothing. This is how no, the No, you the game still works, get maybe. four fucking free episodes a week. I guess or so. a month, a week, probably. Oh, no, <laughs> no, we we're not so going back to it. We say, we say that, but that sometimes it doesn't happen. We're not going back to original Diluti uh, workloads. That is not yeah. happening. If you give us money, you might get extra content. Yeah, we've potentially. Gone, we've gone to uh, providing like twenty episodes a month to being like maybe you'll get two. Yeah. <laughs> Once it gets down to the holiday seasons, it's like well, it's, yeah, it's tough. But thank you guys so much yeah. for sticking with us, and thank you guys for becoming new patrons. We hope that you enjoy the backlog of content that you have waiting for you when you get there. When you're done mm-hmm. with it, tell us. Now and I would also we'll make more. Do you guys hear that? Because well, it's like a, it's like a, like a. Beep, 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 oh no! Beep, 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 beep. Are we? I hear TMZ <gasps> got me a new scoop, boys. This is a special day. I know. So TMZ picked up the that. scoop. Local hero John Ham and musician Richard Cheese decided that they were going to hang on. Decided <laughs> that on. they were going to join a um, sand sculpture competition, and it was Halloween theme. Um. During this competition, they actually pulled from a hat what the theme was going to be, and they actually got um, a witch. This is the first known 
sighting of a ham and cheese sandwich. Bird Scooter! Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. I really thought this was going somewhere with like big cheese or like something. Dick We're Cheese is too easy because that's his name. Go fuck it's yourself. Sh- okay, it's been a minute. I was proud My of that father one. was Dick Cheese. Call me Schmegma. He 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 did yeah, this live. On, <laughs> <laughs> I was very proud of that. Fuck you. Do the episode Mike, without me. <laughs> Mike, I very clearly enjoyed it. So I'm, we actually I'm in did your corner, do this bud. episode without you. We. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, yeah. Jason and Doug have already done the episode and we're just here. We're yeah. here for to have a you good time. You guys are just going to hear it at this point. And then yeah. we're just going to throw it away. This what? is going to be so confusing to a lot of somebody, you. I'm so sorry. Somebody scooter us. Somebody yeah, bird Mike. scooter us into what's Mike, happening. Mike, that's you. Mike. So I've crawled out of some dark crevices in my day. Not, not, nope. This is Try a bad, again. this is a bad scooter. Yeah. I've yeah, been yeah. in Jason's asshole once or twice. <laughs> Better. Better, but let's try it one more time. <laughs> We're it's going in the right direction. It's and damp and rigid. <laughs> Back the wrong direction. Oh, I like rigid? I, I just I'll have s- you know that my butthole is supple and soft, all right? I do want to say, uh, I, and this is super meta, but Holy Trick is in the the discord right now <laughs> uh did he hear us just sh- like actually oh, we didn't 100%. shit on him no no no, we didn't so, shit on him no no can we do it real quick here. which one should we shit wait jennifer's here <laughs> who, do, who can i shit on real quick jennifer's you know, just for the fun of it you can shit on the people that are in charge of making this episode coherent which is what you are currently doing everybody all right all right anyways so <laughs> Uh, hey, sometimes what are we, we talking down, about? What are we doing here? Sometimes we go down rabbit holes. This is similar to a rabbit uh, hole as it is a dark underground cavern, you could say. Now, we may not Mike have visited this cavern, but we know of a man named Ted who has. <gasps> We're redoing Mel's Hole, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Mel's Welcome. Hole Part Two. We got. We actually. We finally got the picture. We got the picture. We, it's true. Yeah. So, fart smell emailed me, and <laughs> it's just a picture of a circle, and it's, it's exactly just, what you thought it would be. Yeah. Someone drew a picture of the hole, and you know the world can end now <laughs> happily. Anyways, <laughs> we're what are we Ted actually fucking doing? We are covering Ted the fucking caver today, Woo! guys. It's been a long time in the making. Um. Here's yeah. the neat part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like 20 some odd years, I think. Tw- 20, 20 years. 20, like w- three. 22 years, right? Sure. Two. You Both could say that. are you talking about? I'm talking about how old. <laughs> Never mind. I was trying to get us to talk about the topic. <laughs> I don't actually know how bad. old this is. Nine was like two- is 22 years old now. Jesus Christ, Mike. <laughs> Have some respect. <laughs> a s- there's a certain level of respect. Um, what? Okay. This is going swimmingly, let I'm, me tell you. <laughs> this is terrible. This is one of the worst episode intros we've ever done. 
here, here, here we go. What? Uh-huh. Boys. Yeah. My boys. My boys in the yeah. yard with my milkshakes. Yeah. So Ted the Caver is a very interesting story. If if I remember correctly, it is mentioned to be one of the first creepy pastas. Um, it's kind of considered to be the like the original. Yeah. Considering yeah. Um, it's it's definitely one of the more well written ones. Yeah. I yeah. have to say. It's been a long time coming for us to cover this. Uh, you are about to hear a whole lot of Doug and a whole lot of Jason. Maybe not so much Mike or Matt. It's actually going to be a whole lot of me and a whole none of Jason. Kick uh, ass. There might be one or two little bits with me, but mostly it's Doug, maybe some Lissa. Oh, yeah. You might hear Jason yell a couple times, but that's yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. But no we mood. wanted to give you guys a good treat. Yeah. No, no mood or Mike, and you'll see why. Um, but I think instead of why? talking about it, you'll see. I think instead of talking about it and asking why... How about we listen to these weird tapes that we found um, by Sir Ted? Holy shit. And t- Ted himself sent us tapes. Dude, he I did. Got, yeah, like, hang on. He faxed on. me both of them. Wait, hold on. Mike's, Mike apparently has something there. What the? F- you keep all of your tapes in your sump pump? What is happening? Mike, <laughs> is that a white shirt? Like a Hanes, just a white Hanes shirt that you're wearing? No, I think for, it's for you audio little, listeners. I'll cue you in. Look. For you audio <laughs> listeners, I'll cue you in, but you visual guys on YouTube, like, look what Ted sent us. I got sent an old, like, old mini uh, mini VHS player. Oh my god, you have the, you have the videotape from, from the, from, videotape, yeah. th- from it? Camera. It. And he also, <laughs> Ted also sent me, like, little mini cassettes. That's fucking too. awesome! So, I like how we did this thing where we just talked about how much I'm going to be talking and then went right into talking about how Ted sent us these tapes. Hey, I'll make it make sense. <laughs> just, just stop bringing it up. <laughs> so I think we should just listen and watch these tapes. And by listen and watch, I mean just listen because the visual I mean, got you can corrupted. Watch. Ooh. Mike, Mike, uh, open up Ooh. the camera part of that. Yeah. And blow into it. Press play and then zoom in. Like, just throw it at your camera. This will make for great, great video editing Buying on the cameras on Matt's part. Great. You nailed it. Good. <laughs> oh, my. Due to the overwhelming number of requests I have received to tell about my discoveries and bizarre experiences in a cave not far from my home, I have created this webpage. I will outline the events that happened to me during the past few months, beginning with my journey into a familiar cave in December 2000 and ending, well, it hasn't actually ended yet. I have included photographs that were taken during my many trips into the cave. I have also created a few illustrations to help the reader get a better idea of what things looked like in the cave. All of the photos were taken by me, or one of the few people I went into the cave with. I want to point out a few things before I tell about the events. 1. Most of the pictures were taken with a Kodak disposable type camera. I took a better camera in the cave on one or two of the trips. Pictures on this site are all original photos and have not been messed with or enhanced, other than where noted. As a rule, I get my pictures put onto discs at the time of developing so I don't have to scan them later. This ensures the best digital quality. Two. I will not reveal the names of other people involved in this experience. If you know me well enough, you probably know them already. 
I will not reveal the location of the cave to anyone for any reason, so please don't ask. I refuse to be held accountable for anyone's life but my own. I will refer to the cave as Mystery Cave. That is not its real name. If you think these events sound far-fetched, I agree. I would come to the same conclusion had I not experienced them. I will try to finish the site as soon as possible, check the date on the main page to see when I've made updates. To protect myself from people who might want to copy this site, I include the following. All text on this and following pages are my own words and copyright 2001. Ted. The Discovery. Caving Journal. December 30th, 2000. B and I decided to get in one more caving trip before the New Year, so we set our sights on Mystery Cave. Not a spectacular cave, but since neither of us had been caving in a while, it would be nice to go to any cave. There was a bit of excitement to this trip. There was a small passage in the lower portion of the cave that I wanted to check out to see if it was possible to get past. It had a small opening, but lots of air blowing out of it. Even though it was way too small to climb through, I'd never even checked to see what was inside the passage. We got our gear loaded up and hit the road by 3 p.m. We got to the cave in great time since B likes to drive fast. We anchored from the usual tree and began to rappel into the cave. I went down first and got my gear together while B came down. I will refer to B many times. We've been caving together for many months now. He was uh, injured in a caving accident a few years ago and was told he would never walk again. Through hard work and perseverance, he not only walks, but can get around very well in caves. The trickier parts of a cave might slow him down a bit, but he can make it. He patiently works through an obstacle until he gets past it. As for the reference to the small opening in the cave, there is a saying among cavers, if it blows, it goes. Meaning if a passage has a good flow of air, it is probably worth investigating. After we explored all of the usual passages, we climbed down to check out the hole. The hole is located deep in the cave near the lowest part of the cave. It is on the side of a cave wall about three feet from the floor. To look inside the hole I had to kneel down and duck under an overhang of rock. I used my backup mini mag light and held it inside the hole to see what I could see. I was excited by what I saw. The wall around the hole was about three to five inches thick and it led straight into a tight passage. The passage opened up a bit just inside the hole. It continued back about 10 to 12 feet in a small crawl space. After that, it seemed to really open up, although how much we couldn't tell. This could be a virgin passage. Obviously, no one has passed through this route, but there could be a way into the passage from the other side. To even get into the crawl space, we would have to enlarge the opening. Currently, it is about the size of my fist. Once we get past the opening, we would have a tight crawl back to where it opened up. It would take some work, but we thought we could do it. We sat down for a few minutes to rest and contemplate our plan of attack. While we sat there in the darkness, we could hear the howling wind from the other side of the passage. It was a low, eerie noise. We could also hear a low rumble from time to time. No big deal, though. The cave is in the vicinity of a highway and has heavy trucks driving past it. We figured the rumble was the effect of these trucks resonating through the rocks. We determined that our best plan would be to haul a cordless drill into the cave and drill into the rock. Then we could take a bullpen and a small sledgehammer and break up the rock. It seemed pretty straightforward. We would widen the hole big enough to squeeze in and see what was on the other side. The efforts to haul all of the equipment down the hole would be a pain, but we hoped it would be worth it. 
I named this passage Floyd's Tomb after Floyd Collins. It seemed to look like a tight spot where Floyd spent his last miserable days on Earth. Note, Floyd Collins was a caver back in the early 1900s. He got stuck in a tight crawl space and was unable to free himself. It is an amazing story that is detailed in a book called Trapped, the Story of Floyd Collins. I think that was the title. I don't recall the author, though. Calling our passage Floyd's Tomb was not only a tribute to Floyd, but a commentary on the size of the passage. <laughs> in retrospect, it is funny how simple I thought it was going to be. Figured a few hours of work and we'd be in. Had I known how long it was going to take, I doubt I would have even begun the project. Had I known what I was going to experience in the cave, I never would have returned. We gathered up our gear and headed for the surface. Normally I couldn't care less if I ever came back into this cave, there was really nothing special about it, but now I was psyched about getting back and going through. We hadn't even left the cave and we were planning our return trip. The rest of the journal entry talked about the climb out of the cave, our dinner, and our trip back home. Nothing crazy. January 27th through 28th, 2001. B and I were both excited to get back into the cave and get to work. I figured with about four hours of work, we could be in and see what was on the other side. We had arranged to borrow a DeWalt cordless drill to bring with us. We also had masonry bits to drill with, sledgehammers, two of them, uh, to break up the rock, and bullpens to insert into the drill holes, and a few other tools that we ended up not using. Getting the tools down to the worksite proved to be a challenge. One of us would climb down with the rope and then stop at the ledge or a good resting place. Then the other person would lower the tools. We kept repeating this routine until we got to the bottom of the cave. Then we had to drag the tools through the hole. It took about an hour to finally get it to work. B took the first turn at the hole. After an hour of exhausting work, we could tell that we were not going to get through in one session. We kept trading off, and after we worked ourselves into a sweat, one would take a break, get some food and water, while the other went to work. The routine went like this. To begin work, we had to get down on our knees and do our best to avoid smacking our heads on the ceiling. Working in this awkward position, we would drill into the wall around the hole. That was difficult work. We really had to push on the drill, and it was just pretty slow progress. Then we inserted the bullpen into the hole and hammered on it until the rock broke up. Then we would repeat the process. To give you an idea of how slow it went, the typical size rock that would break off was about fingernail size. If we broke off a large piece, about one third of the size of my palm, uh, it was cause for celebration. From time to time, for variety, we would just wail on a cold chisel with a five pound sledge. It was a slow progress. The problem with the sledge was that we couldn't take a good swing because of the tight quarter. Uh, side note, even though we spent many hours and several trips working on the hole, we never did find a better technique for widening the hole. The drill, bullpen, hammer got the best results for our efforts. We came up with some crazy ideas for breaking up the rock, everything from TNT, never seriously considered it, uh, to hauling a generator to the mouth of the cave and running an extension cord down onto a jackhammer. We even thought about using liquid nitrogen to freeze the rock and make it more brittle. It was about then that our first battery met an abrupt death. We had a second battery, so we swapped them out. The second battery lasted a little longer because we hammered and chiseled a little more often and a little longer each time. Finally, after about three more hours of drudgery, the second battery died and we called it a night. Whew. We could tell that we had done some work in the cave, but it was not much. 
For the first time since we got in the cave, we both sat back and took a break. It was nice to check out the results of our hard work. Then we noticed the howling again. It seemed to be a little louder than the last time we were there. We just figured the wind was blowing a little stronger outside. What we could not figure out was the rumbling. It too seemed to be louder and more frequent. This time we could not attribute the noise to trucks. The road that the trucks drove on was not very busy to begin with, and at that time of night it should be dead. Yet the rumbling continued. It seemed to be coming from deep within the passage. B said he would ask some veteran cavers what could be causing the noise. We didn't spend a long time admiring our work. We still had to haul the gear up and out of the cave. Actually, we left some of it in the cave. It was still difficult work. What made it worse was that we were both exhausted. Our original plan was to be done with this cave and hit a couple of other caves in the area the next day. Instead, we decided to crash at a nearby motel, charge up the drill batteries, and go back to the mystery cave. Side note, my journal goes on at length about the night after we left the cave. We got a room, dinner was excellent, I didn't sleep good despite the fact I was exhausted. We both slept in so we got a late start back into the cave. The second day working on the cave went about the same as the first. We worked until both batteries were dead again. We were still not even close to getting through. The howling and rumbling continued as the day before. several decades ago when construction in the area unearthed its entrance. From that time to the present, it has been visited by mostly locals in the area and avid cavers in the region. Beer cans can be found intermittently in the cave, mostly in the upper half. When the cave was first entered, it was probably beautiful. Dust, graffiti, vandals, pigeons, and regular use has diminished its appeal. There are still places in the cave where small formations remain undisturbed as a reminder of what the rest of the cave used to look like. To enter the cave, one must have a good length of rope in order to rappel down into the rock. A nearby tree serves as a good anchor point. Once the rope is tied to the tree, about 20 feet away from a small cliff, it can be tossed over the edge of the cliff to a small ledge 15 feet below. Cavers can then descend the short distance to the entrance. Once inside the cave, artificial light must be used. My light source of choice is a battery-operated helmet-mounted light known as a TAG light. Safe caving calls for at least two sources of backup lighting. For my backup lighting, I have a mini mag light mounted to my helmet and another helmet-mounted light in my pack, which I always carry with me. I also have glow sticks that I can carry with me. These are not considered good sources of backup light by some, but they are good use for taking lunch breaks and they could be used to get out of a cave if the other sources fail. After a short climb over large rocks, the caver comes to a large pit. The same rope is used to reach the bottom of the pit. The drop is only about 50 feet or so, but it's not free hanging. In other words, you can't slide straight down the rope, which is preferable. You have to snake your way around sharp rocks as you descend. The ascent is made more difficult for the same reason. The pit varies in diameter from about 10 feet to 3 or 4 in a few places. The walls are lined with sharp white rocks called popcorn. Let me correct that. It used to be white, but it is now covered with dust and dirt that was kicked down from above by years of caving. The popcorn makes it painful to brush against the side of the pit. My choice of clothing is Levi's, t-shirt, gloves, and knee pads. 
I usually leave the cave with a few scrapes, but at least I am comfortable while I climb around inside. The temperature is stable year-round. It feels cool in the summer and warm in the winter. We have gone in on freezing days, and 10 feet into the cave it is warm enough that coats are not needed. It is a good temperature to work in as we learned. For this size drop, I usually use a figure 8 descending device. For the climb up, I attach myself to the rope using a pencil ascender, but I climb up on my own without using the device. It is there merely as a safety attachment, in case I slip. Other cavers have their own methods of getting down and up. At the bottom of the drop, the caver gets to do some crawling for a while. There's a small room, about 6 by 6 feet, at the bottom that gives the caver a spot to leave his harness and descending ascending gear. Since there is no more steep drops, the harness is not needed and will only get in the way. Once the caver gets down to the 6x6 room, he can take a break under a ledge while the rest of the party comes down. Then he must drop to his knees to negotiate a 10 foot long passage that is only a few feet high. This is where the knee pads come in handy. The floor is covered with a soft dirt, intermingled with bits of broken rock from above. The thin layer of dirt does nothing to soften the blow to the hands and knees as the caver works down the crawl space. As a reward at the end of the crawl, he gets to drop to his belly and scoot under a tight squeeze. Not really tight, just something low enough to make the caver scoot along in the dirt. Once the caver gets on the other side of the squeeze, there are a few feet of crawl space. Then the cave opens up enough to stand. For most of the rest of the cave, the caver can stand or at least stoop. The cave splits off into several passages at this point. Two routes wind around rocks and crevasses and come to an abrupt dead ends. The other two lead to small pools of water. Each route is fun to explore. They all lead on for a hundred feet or so in a gradual downward slope. Most of the time the caver can walk upright in the passages, other times he will have to climb over large boulders or occasionally crawl on hands and knees. Water is a common occurrence in caves. I've been told that one of the local residents was one of the first people in the cave and that his cousin dove into the pools using scuba gear. He said that the cave continued down for a couple hundred feet underwater. What they were hoping for, and what happens frequently, is that the passage comes up somewhere else with a virgin cave passages to explore. Unfortunately, I don't possess the knowledge to give more detail about the types of rocks in the cave. When we were drilling, we would have some parts that were easier to drill than others, and there were different colors in the rock, refer to my photos but that is the best I can do to describe the makeup of the cave. At the point the cave split into four routes, the two passages that dead end are to the immediate left of the caver. Straight ahead and to the right are the passages that lead to pools of water. The entrance to the passage on the right is the largest of the four. The arched opening rises nearly 10 feet in the air, ending a mere foot below the cave ceiling. As the caver enters the passage, the ceiling gradually lowers until it is about 6 feet high. It continues at the same height for the 40 feet that the passage travels in a continuous direction. This section of the cave resembles a hard rock mine. Its arch is nearly perfect and the floor is flat and easy to walk on. It's easy to picture rusty mine cars on rail lines and dust-covered miners with blistered hands gripping dull picks. The pseudo-mine comes to an end and the caver is once again forced to drop onto hands and knees and get reacquainted with the floor of the cave. This time the crawl lasts about 20 feet. The floor is sloping gently downward for the first half of the crawl. Then it gets fairly steep and slippery. Able-bodied cavers can still climb carefully down the slippery slope. 
When I go with B, I carry the end of the rope that we used to get down to this point. I usually need to tie another short length of rope to the first rope to make sure he can use it to reach the bottom. The crawl lasts a few feet beyond the bottom of the slide. Over the next 10 to 12 feet, the caver slowly begins to regain the standing position. After walking a few feet and climbing down a short drop-off, the caver arrives at a small level area which has a passage leading down immediately to the left. The passage ends 75 feet later at one of the small bodies of water. To the right is a rock wall. Straight ahead is an indentation in the wall which goes back about 3 feet. On the wall at the rear of the indent is a small hole about the size of a softball. To get near the hole, the caver ducks under an overhang and kneels upon the rocks that rise above the floor by a few inches. By the time the caver reaches this point, he is either warm or sweating, and the first thing he notices is a cool breeze blowing out of the hole. It was my recognition of this hole as a potential doorway to unexplored portions of cave that ultimately led to this telling of my experience. As had been my tradition for all the years I've been caving, the party reaches a point in the cave, usually at the deepest part of the cave, that all lights are extinguished. Complete blackness fills the eyes. For a moment, the individual caver strains the eye muscles, focusing in and out with the expectation of catching a crumble of light somewhere in the false night. After several futile moments, the caver turns his head at a sound, perhaps another caver, only to have the other senses return and then heighten. The sound, smells, and feelings that have been overlooked at this point come racing to the caver in perfect detail. The pain of their own behind sitting on the cave floor, the smell of dust, sweat, guano. The sound of modern material shifting on age-old rock as cavers attempt to find the comfort on this solid foundation. At the back of every caver's mind at this time is, what if? What if a person had to climb out of the cave with no light? Would he make it? Would he find all of the turns and bends which got him into this place? If not, would a rescue party find him in time? The depth of darkness recognized at this time is something that is rarely experienced outside a cave. Many first-time cavers erroneously declare that they have to hold their hand to within two or three inches of their face before they can see it. The truth is the human eye is incapable of seeing in an absence of light. If they did not hear something coming toward them, they would feel it before they saw it complete and total dark. This exercise is a great way to remind people to take backup lighting. As we proceeded to work in the cave, we developed a system pretty early and little changed in succeeding trips. The first time in the cave, B took first shift at chipping away at the opening. After about a half hour, he needed a break, so I took over. He told me what worked best and I continued doing the same. We would try new things from time to time, to use new muscles, but usually stuck to the same method. We would use the masonry bit and press on the drill as hard as we could to drill out a hole in the rock. Safety glasses and dust masks were worn while working. Then we would insert the bullpen and hammer it into the rock and break out small chunks of the cave. Then we would drill another hole and repeat the process. Occasionally, the drill would hit a soft spot in the rock, and that step would be shortened. We would work until we became too tired to continue, then B and I would trade. 
While one of us was working, the other would remain in the darkness and either eat or drink, or just lay down on the cave floor, padded by rope bags. After just a few rotations, we were tired enough to catch a nap while taking our break. The only light we used was the helmet light on the head of the worker. Since it was pointing toward the hole, the resting person was left mostly in the dark. This was a welcome benefit, since the resting person was usually, well, resting. The rest break was also a chance to cool down a bit, which didn't take long in the cooler temperature of the cave. Fortunately, the temperature of the cave allowed us to work pretty hard and not overheat much. I remember that I frequently looked at the hole and thought, hey, it's big enough, I think I can squeeze through, only to be disappointed in my attempt. However, even after the first attempt and failure, I knew that I would keep working on the hole until I got through. This despite the fact that I knew I would take many more hours of hard work. It actually became an obsession with me. I tried to get out of the... <clears throat> I tried to get out to the cave and work as often as I could. I hoped that the passage led to a larger, undiscovered cave that we would be the first ones to enter. I guess the explorer in me wanted to find a new frontier there in the cave. Since B is such an avid caver, he was motivated by the same desire to find a new, unexplored cave. What we did find was not at all what I expected. February 10th, 2001. Scarcely two weeks had gone by, and already we were on our way back out to work in the cave. We admit we had become obsessed with the idea of getting through the passage. That may be a sign of how exciting our lives really are. It's not that we think there is going to be something great beyond the passage, we just like the idea of being the first humans on the face of the planet to set foot in a virgin part of the cave. Although if we found a hidden treasure, that would be fine with us. We got a late start and drove part of the way in the dark. When I tell people that I go caving at night, they wonder why. They don't stop to think that it is always night once you're inside the cave. All the way out to the mystery cave, we talked about new ideas to speed up our work. B also told me he talked to some caver friends of his that came up with an explanation about the rumbling noise. They thought it might be the sound of water deep within the cave, possibly a waterfall. They couldn't really explain why the noise seemed to come and go. To me, it is just one more reason to get through, so we can solve the mystery. This trip, we took B's dog, Whip. She is a Jack Russell Terrier. I was not at all concerned about taking the dog into the cave. We have taken her before, she answers the call of nature before we go in, and then waits until we get out again. Also, she is well behaved inside the cave. We simply had to lower her via a custom made harness until she reached the bottom of the main drop. Then she negotiated the rest on her own. She loves to explore, but won't go out of our sight. She doesn't have a light attached to her, so she has to wait for us. Another reason I don't mind bringing Whip along was because we planned on putting her into the small hole and see how far into the passage she would go. That might give us an idea of what's on the other side. We knew that if there were a drop-off that we couldn't see, the dog would turn around and come right back out. We thought we might have to do some work on the hole before even the dog could get through. Despite working in the dark of the night, we were able to rig up and get down pretty quickly. We didn't take as many tools as last time. Plus, we left some in the hole so we wouldn't have to haul them out and back again. I did manage to get two more batteries for the drill for a total of four. Also a few more masonry drill bits. Even with the dog, we make good time getting down. 
Then something bizarre happened that I can't quite explain. The dog began exploring as soon as we let her off the rope. She was in hog heaven, sniffing and darting around at our feet. She would run from one person to the other as we made our way back to the worksite. At the point the cave splits into four passages, the dog seemed to run out of juice. She just stuck right by either B or me. That seemed kind of odd. As we progressed further into the cave, she would only stay by B. She seemed edgy. Like she saw something she didn't like. As we approached the short drop-off before the hole, she stopped and would only come further after we coaxed her. The hair on her back stood on end. Finally, as we got within 20 feet of the hole, she began to whimper and hide behind B. Her tail was between her legs and she was cowering down on the ground. Strange. I've seen her square off with dogs twice her size, but now she acted as if Satan himself was lurking in the darkness? I figured there must have been animals that used the cave as a home, and Whip smelled their scent. Too bad it upsets her because there was no way she was going into the passage. We decided that with this new development, the nervous dog, one of us would work while the other stayed with the dog a few feet away from where we normally rested. We got right back into our routine of drilling, hammering, etc. With our extra supply of batteries, we were able to really push hard on the drill and not have to worry about using up the batteries. This did not make our work any easier, but it did speed things up a little bit. Progress was still slow. I really didn't mind, though. Side note, my journal goes on for a while about the progress we were making. The entire time we worked, Whip did not move. She just laid there on a rope bag, shivering. She would whimper from time to time. One thing I didn't think about at the time was that she would not take her eyes off of the hole. We should have been more observant of this intuitive animal. We were on our fourth battery when the second bizarre thing happened to us. B was working. He had just finished drilling a hole and was getting ready to hammer the bullpen when he stopped working and looked into the hole. I was kicking back, almost asleep, and hardly paying attention to B. I could see in the eerie glow a puzzled and intense look on his face. He looked over at me and shook his head. I asked him what was up. He said that he swore he just heard a strange noise emanating from the hole. He said it sounded like a rock sliding on rock, sort of like a grinding sound. I assumed his ears were just ringing from the drill. He didn't wear any earplugs this trip. He assured me he heard what he said he heard. I didn't have an explanation, so I went back to dozing. B sat in the quiet of the cave for a long time before he resumed work. Also, he would stop from time to time and just listen. B is very grounded and not one to pursue some imaginary sound. I believe he heard something, but I'm not too concerned about what it was. I assume we will figure it out once we get through the passage. The final battery lasted another hour or so. We were sitting around talking about our progress when I decided to see if I could get my head through the hole. My head easily fit, but there was no way my shoulders were going in. As I was kneeling there contemplating how close we were, I noticed something that B overlooked. The wind had stopped. In all of the times I've been in the cave, I've always felt the wind blowing. The last time we were out working on the cave, the wind was blowing worse than ever. Even earlier, we remembered the breeze cooling us off. But now, nothing. B said he did not know when it stopped. The rumbling had ceased too. Bizarre. This plain old cave was becoming mysterious. 
We talked for a long time in the dark cave. We debated what could possibly be causing these unusual events to occur. I think part of the reason we were sitting in the dark was because we were both too hammered to move. We could come up with no reasonable explanation for the strange things happening in the cave. After sitting for at least half an hour, we slowly loaded up our gear and started for the surface. Whip couldn't have been happier to get out of there. Once again, we left some of the tools in the cave. We just put them in the hole. Not enough people used the cave to worry about it. Plus, we were too tired to care. We made a lot of progress this trip. It helps to have the extra batteries. We still have a long way to go, but it sure is nice to see how far we've come. Quick note, the rest of the journal entry talks about climbing out of the cave, getting a room at a motel, and crashing. We were beat. In retrospect, I can't believe how casual we were about everything that was happening in the cave. At the time, the only thing we could think about was just, you know, getting into the passage. Everything else was just a minor distraction. I do recall thinking that it would be nice to get in and see how the mechanics of the cave worked, where the wind was coming from, what was making the noise, etc. Now, weeks later, I think of my ignorance and naivety and shiver. March 3rd through 4th, 2002-2001. It took us three weeks before we got back out to the mystery cave again. Our attitudes have changed a bit since we first started the project. In the beginning, we looked at the whole thing as a fun adventure. Since the last trip out, we found ourselves taking a more serious approach. On the drive out this time, our conversation was a little more subdued than before. We hadn't talked much since the last trip, not for any reason, but scheduling conflicts. Instead of discussing ways to get through the passage, we found ourselves talking about rational explanations for what had happened. Neither one of us had any ideas that would explain the unusual occurrences we experienced on the last trip. We were amused to find out that neither of us had talked much about the last trip to other people. That is a complete reversal from the other trips. It has been fun to report to friends and family about our progress. It's always fun to tell people about the tight squeeze we're going to have to get through to get into the passage. Most people have little desire to voluntarily subject themselves to incredibly tight spaces. Actually, neither do I, but I will do it in order to get to the other side. Good motivation. We left town early in the afternoon to beat traffic. I don't really recall what time we finally got to the cave. Like I said, the mood was subdued. We got rigged up and started down. Obviously, B left the dog at home this time. We took essentially the same gear as last. We left some of the tools in the hole to save our backs the agony of hauling the extra weight. Even with the gear, we got down in good time. We really have a good system for getting up and down. There was only one minor mishap this trip. B scraped his arm on the descent. Not real bad, fortunately. He waited until we got all the way to the hole to patch it up. It was just a superficial cut. While he was getting the wound cleaned up, I started working. We both took note that the breeze was back and the rumbling present. We had our four fresh batteries and four or maybe three and a half fresh arms. I had high hopes this would be the day. It started out pretty slow. When we first started working on the hole, the thickness was about three inches. As we have enlarged the hole, the thickness has increased. As a result, our progress has become slower. Still, we continue with as much energy as we could put into the work. 
The hole was big enough, at least, for me to put the hammer into the hole for reference, then put the camera into the hole and take a picture of Floyd's tomb. It's been nice to see the pile of broken rock below the hole getting bigger and bigger. We have both realized that we're just going to have to put in a certain amount of work in order to get through, so we just get down to business. We don't usually talk much while we work, since one of us is making a lot of noise with the drill or hammer. Break times are used to chat momentarily about whatever topic pops into mind. The breaks take place whenever the guy that's working decides to switch roles. We both put in some pretty good work sessions. I have a little more stamina than B, but he gets just as much done in a shorter amount of time due to his upper body strength. We still celebrate the small victories we encounter along the way. Whenever a section we've been working on crumbles, we cheer. On the rare occasion that a fist-sized rock falls from the entrance, we whoop and holler. That one small chunk of earth that no longer separates us from whatever lies on the other side. I still harbor the fantasy that there is a hidden entrance to the other side of the passage, and years ago a Spanish explorer hid their treasures in the cave and sealed up the entrance, and it has remained untouched until we find it. B has a more realistic, although more mundane theory. He figures there is more cave on the other side. We'll see who's right. This trip out, I wanted to see if we could speed up the work by using larger masonry bits. I purchased some good-sized ones from the hardware store, at a good-sized price. One was larger in diameter than all the rest. The other was smaller around, but longer. I had pretty much concluded that the big one might be too big, and I was right. We tried to get it to go into the rock, but progress was very slow. We tried pushing for all we were worth, and all we got was tired. The larger bit just created too much friction area for our strength. It might have worked with a hammer drill, but we didn't have one. The longer bit worked fine with our drill. We relied on it for most of the work we did this trip. I thought we were going to be out one bit, and a drill, and my hand, when the bit broke off toward one end. I was pushing as hard as I could on the drill with the bit a few inches in the wall, when it snapped. I nearly rammed the drill through the wall from pushing so hard. We were able to retrieve the bit and keep using it, minus a couple inches. It still worked great. Only once in a great while did we resort to hammer and chisel. Work was proceeding as normal until about the time we were on our fourth battery. I was kneeling down and working the drill slowly into the wall at the time. I had my earplugs in, my safety glasses on, and was lost in my own thoughts. Suddenly over the squ- Squeal. Suddenly over the squeal of the drill wearing down on the rock, I heard a strange noise. It was loud. I could hear it over the noise of the drill, even though I had the earplugs in. At first, I thought it was just the drill bit doing its job on the cave. It would frequently complain by screeching and whining as we forced it into the wall. But this was different. It took me several full seconds to comprehend that this was coming from inside the hole and not the bit. I stopped drilling and yanked my earplugs out just in time to hear the most terrible scream I've ever heard trail off and echo into the darkness of the cavern. I stared wide-eyed at the hole. For several moments I didn't move, nor did I breathe. I turned and looked at B. Moments earlier he had been lying on the rope bag catching a nap. Now he was standing upright, mouth open, with a look of concern on his face. I turned and looked into the hole again, half expecting to see a demon face staring back at me. Nothing was different in Floyd's tomb. I fixed my gaze on the back of the squeeze where the limits of my light reached. There was no motion, 
only darkness beyond the reaches of my light. In the complete silence that followed, I could hear my heart pounding in my ears. Not another sound could be heard in the cave. Suddenly I heard a scraping noise behind me and straightened up. I nearly knocked myself out hitting my head on the overhang. It was just B moving to turn on his light, but I was so wired it nearly sent me to my grave. B spoke again and I jumped. He said to get some rocks and put them into the hole. He explained that whatever animal had made that noise might be able to get through the hole. I immediately grabbed a few rocks and hoisted them through the opening. Using the handle of the sledgehammer, I slid the rock as far back into the tunnel as I could reach, creating a wall between us and the other side. Since the squeeze is so small, it didn't take long. The entire time I was doing this, however, I was thinking that the noise certainly did not come from an animal. I didn't know if B really thought it was, or if he was just trying to convince himself. I didn't say anything to him about what I thought. From the time it happened to the writing of this journal entry two days later, I've tried to come up with some possible sources for such a noise. To describe it, I would say it sounded like a cross between a man screaming in fear and a cougar screaming in pain. It sounded like it came from the hole and was roughly a hundred feet away. The horrific noise reverberated through the cave and through my ears. B estimated the scream lasted eight to ten seconds. My best guess is about five. Three seconds while I was drilling and one and a half seconds to drop the drill and yank the earplugs and half a second of sheer terror. It's difficult to tell how much time passes when you're listening to a solo from the depths of Hades. After I filled the back of the passage with rocks, we just sat there listening to the silence. Our breathing was a lot more rapid than usual. Neither of us spoke for quite some time. Finally, B suggested we get back to work, but keep an eye out for movement in the hole. We put a light in the passage that shined out back of Floyd's tomb. It was only at this point we realized the wind had stopped again and the rumbling could no longer be heard. To say I was nervous would be an understatement. I didn't say anything to B, nor him to me. Back to the drilling. B took over work, which was fine with me. I wasn't exactly worn out, but I didn't mind being further from the hole. B would stop from time to time and listen. I just sat watching him with my light on. I wasn't close to the entrance of the hole, but I still found myself looking behind me down the passage to the still water. Every time my light would cast an unusual shadow, my heart would jump. My imagination was running wild. Oddly, B seemed to be the less concerned about the strange noise than me. After a short time, he seemed to be focused entirely on getting through the passage. I was still straining to listen above the sound of the drill. I heard nothing but now the familiar sound of carbine on stone, as I contemplated the possible scenarios which might play out on the other side of the passage, I found myself strangely getting somewhat excited again, and getting through. It might have been fatigue taking its toll on my mind, or the thought of something valuable on the other side. My thoughts were broken when B let out a yell, possibly a cuss word. He said the drill battery was dying, but he hadn't quite broken off a large, relative section he was working on. He set the useless drill aside and picked up a hammer and bullpen. He started wailing away at the hole created by the bit. After nearly ten solid minutes of hammering, he sat back against the rock, sweating and nearly out of breath. The bullpen was still protruding from the cave wall. He held the hammer toward me, inviting me to take a few swings. I held up my hand and shook my head. I had been ready to exit this cave for quite a while now. He didn't press the issue, and without speaking, we both started gathering the gear we were going to take out. Once again, we stashed some of the tools in the passage. I was first to start toward the top of the cave. 
Several times I had to stop and wait for B, not because he was moving slow. I was just more than eager to get out. Few times I have felt better than that night, stepping out into the chilly night's air. Side note, my journal talks about the rest of the evening. Side note, my journal talks about the rest of the evening. Our dinner, our decision to get a motel and come back the next day, our lengthy discussion on the strange sounds we heard, another mediocre's night's sleep. I cannot believe that we are so willing to get right back into the cave after hearing that scream. Part of the reason I went along with the idea was because B seemed so indifferent to any possible dangers. Even if it were an animal, which I did not believe, but could offer no better explanation, really. Weren't we possibly putting ourselves in harm's way? In retrospect, I still have difficulty understanding our thought process at that time. We were just too eager to discover virgin cave passages. I now think it can be summed up with one word, testosterone. It's amazing what a couple good meals and a little sleep can do for someone's attitude. Even though we still had memories of the strange noises fresh in our minds, we relit our fire of enthusiasm. The other side of the passage seemed so close. We were sure this would be the day. We got to the cave and started to work our way down to the hole. Getting back into the darkness of the cave brought back the memories of the night before. The sight of the circle of rock illuminated by our headlamps, the smell of the dirt in the air, the sound we made as we crawled across the rock. Once we reached the entrance to Floyd's tomb, however, we were once again ready to blaze the trail leading to an undiscovered part of the cave. We immediately noted the presence of the breeze blowing out of the hole and then rumbling. The bullpen sticking out of its hole was an obvious sign of where we needed to begin work for the day. B took over where we left off the day before. I took up residence in the same spot I occupied the night before, even though I was already well rested and wanting to start work. B was making the hammer sing with each blow. After a mere two to three minutes, he let out a cheer. He turned to reveal a handful of rock that used to be attached to the cave. He was breathing heavy, but had a big smile on his face. So did I. For the first time, the strange noise had been forgotten, and the vision of success captured our attention. The lower left-hand corner of the hole had been giving us grief because of the thickness of the wall at that point. We felt that if we could just remove that corner, we might be on our way inside. B now held in his hand the crumbled remains of our corner. Our excitement consumed us as we examined the hole. I took the hammer and pounded away at the surface of the hole. The idea was to remove the jagged edges that would take their toll on my skin. The size looked right, now the moment we had been waiting for. I cautiously approached the entrance to Floyd's tomb. I decided the best way to enter the small hole was to place one arm over my head, turn my head sideways, and slowly work my way in. I soon determined that this was not going to work. The hole was small. If I was going to make it in without widening the hole anymore, I was going to have to put both arms over my head in a diving position, turn my head sideways, and slip into the tomb. The width of the entrance was the limiting factor. The height was sufficient, the arms overhead position flared my shoulder blades out, but there was still room to get in. Plus, the arms overhead gave me the best squeeze side to side. In order to enter straight into the hole, I stood on my feet and bent over to get level with the entrance. My knees were bent and the position was uncomfortable, sort of a semi-squatting position, bent at the waist with arms overhead. 
Plus, I had to slightly turn my upper torso to the left in a counterclockwise rotation to negotiate the angle of the entrance. Quick note, uh, notice in the last photo that the entrance generally slopes up to the right. I got my arms through the entrance with minor scrapes. Next came my head. By keeping it turned sideways, I was able to get it in, for the most part, up to my shoulders. When I got to my shoulders, I could feel the rocks touching all around my shoulders and chest. It was not stopping me, but I was definitely scraping many surfaces of my body. I decided to just push through, keeping in mind that I was going to have to come back out eventually. The pain was not too bad, and I was in. Well, my upper body was in. At least I could get a good idea of what the tomb was going to be like. Once inside the tomb, I had a few inches all around me in which to position my body. This was the largest part of the passage, and it was conveniently located right at the beginning of the crawl. That gave me a little room to get positioned to crawl further into the passage. Inside the tomb gave me a whole new outlook of what it was going to be like to crawl through. Even though this was the largest part of the crawl, it was still small. I could move my head around freely, but every direction that I turned I was staring at a wall of solid rock. When I spoke to B, my voice sounded muffled, like I was talking in a small box. I could rest my chest on the passage floor, but the rocks were uncomfortable. I turned my head to look further ahead, but I couldn't see past the wall of rocks I had built the day before. The squeeze toward the end of the passage was closer now, and appeared even narrower. I didn't know if I could squeeze through or not. I knew it would be close, and I wanted to crawl further into the passage. First, however, I had to get some of those loose rocks that were lying on the passage floor out of my way. I was disappointed to find out that most of the rocks that looked loose were actually attached to the floor. I was hoping to be able to just scrape them out of the way. I had just put the sledgehammer into the passage before me, so at this point I used it to push the rock wall we had made further back into the passage. Then I dragged the sledgehammer back and forth across the floor to move any loose rocks, or break up the solid ones. By sliding the head of the hammer around the squeeze, I determined the narrowest part of the squeeze was about 7 inches high. I figured we would have to do some more work before I could slip through. The entire time I had my head in the passage, B was just kicking back listening to my descriptions and progress reports. Up to this point, the size of the passage was not too big of a deal. I was in an incredibly small passage, but only my upper body was in, and since it was the largest part of the passage and my arms could move freely, I was pretty calm. Then it was time for a push. I slid the sledgehammer up as far as I could reach. Since my body filled the entire entrance, I could not slip the tool out, so it was easier to push it ahead. In order to rotate my hips to the proper angle to enter the hole, I had to lean my upper body on my forearms, use my feet to climb the wall outside the hole, and then slowly crawl into the hole. My hips barely fit. Once they cleared the entrance, I could relax a bit and get in position to work toward the squeeze. I decided to try the one-arm forward technique to get through. The passage was so narrow that whatever position I started with, I would have to stay with through the entire length. There was just no room to move around or change positions. I would also have to turn my head one way or another and keep it in the same position. This crawl was tight. Moving forward at this part of the passage was relatively easy. I could use my forward arm, my left arm, to pull and my other arm to push. At the same time, I would wiggle my body trying to arch as much as I could to keep my chest off the rocks. I tried both ways and determined that I would turn my head to the right. It felt the most comfortable. I began to learn things as I went. I determined that the small flashlight in one hand would be nice. Then I could shine it ahead and get a better idea of what I was about to crawl over. 
This was a difficult maneuver because I had to look overhead. Since my head was turned, it became immediately obvious that we were going to have to do some more work removing rocks from the passage floor. As I moved along the surface, I was constantly scraping my chest on the rocks. They were sharp and it was painful. Occasionally, I would cause a rock to slide along under my chest and actually wedge me between it and the top of the passage. I would then have to back up and either try to move the rock to the side with my cheek using a sweeping motion with my head or back way out and move it with my forward hand. My little trip into the passage represented a major milestone in my caving career. When I began caving, I did not feel very confident going through tight spaces. Even the little squeeze at the beginning of this case was an obstacle to overcome. By pushing myself and forcing myself to try the narrow passages, I have become much calmer about tight spaces. Still, this passage represented a new benchmark in small spaces. I had not been faced with anything this small. I don't remember having to take off my helmet before now. With this passage, it is mandatory. As I mentioned before, not only do I have to take off my helmet, but I have to turn my head to the side in order to fit. The journey into the tomb went like this. After I had twisted my hips into the passage, I took a few minutes to stop and work out a game plan. Most of the length of my legs was still outside the entrance. They were just dangling in the air. The tomb was still big enough to move my head around and even move my arms freely into position. It was larger than the rest of the passage, but not by much. It was like sticking your head into a box. Everywhere I looked, there were rocks and not too far from my head. Any sound I made was muffled and dead. The narrowest part of the passage was about 10 feet in, and at this point I was about three and a half feet in. At about the four foot mark, I would have to commit to whatever position I felt comfortable and stay that way until about the 12 foot mark, at which time the cave started opening up. I went in with my left arm forward and head turned to the right. B had given me a flashlight that I held in my left hand. As I inched forward, I would try to brush the loose rocks away with my left arm. This was somewhat successful, but there was a lot of rocks I missed or could not move. As mentioned, the first little bit of the crawl moved along fairly quickly, since there was a little room above me to negotiate the passage. Then the wall started to close in around me. I had a few extra inches on each side of me, but the top of the crawl was getting very low. At about the seven foot mark, I could feel the top rubbing my back as I would arch. After another half foot, I couldn't arch anymore. I had to just push ahead with my toes and pull with my forward arm. I decided it would still be a good time to see if I could back out. I tried it and it was pretty easy. That gave me a lot more confidence. Still, I had B tie webbing to my feet just in case he had to pull me out. My neck was starting to get sore from being cranked to the side. My head was getting heavy, but to rest it, the only option I had was to lay it down on the broken rocks. It was painful, but I did it quite frequently. I was staring at the wall to my right. It was a mere four to five inches from my face. Most of the time I wasn't watching the wall. Either I had my eyes closed, which I sometimes do when I go through a tight spot, or the light wasn't shining in a direction that did me any good. It was very quiet in the tomb. Other than my own breath, I was breathing heavy from the effort it took to move. Thankfully, the breeze was present and cooled me off. By lifting my head and carefully touching the ceiling from time to time, I could gauge the size of the passage that my body would soon pass through. Much like a cat using its whiskers to gauge the opening of a fence, at the seven and a half foot mark, I could tell things were about to get real tight. While laying in the darkness in a passage deep within a cave, one is in a unique position to ponder. 
A mountain literally resting on top of me. The entire earth lying below. One tiny movement of earth and I would cease to exist. Or worse, to recognize the fear shared by Floyd Collins as he lay there trapped for days deep within the heart of the Mother Earth, incapable of freeing himself from this earthen prison. Picture yourself in my position, lying on your stomach, your left arm extended over your head. Your right arm is at your side, having only a few inches in which to move. Your arms and hands are sore and bleeding from crawling and pulling yourself across the broken rocks. Your entire body is resting on those rocks. Your neck gets tired of holding your head off the rocks, so you gently rest your cheek on the rock. Once you start again, you have to push with your toes to scoot your body forward, sliding across the rocks. After moving a few inches, you are breathing hard and have to rest. As you inhale, you can feel your back pressing hard against the top of the squeeze. It takes several minutes before you recover enough to press forward. The entire time you are lying there, you think about how you are going to get back out, and what if. Well, that's pretty much what I was going through at that point in the passage. Quick note, I decided that this would be a good time to throw in a photo of the squeeze. Uh, this photo was actually taken on a different trip, but it shows how tight things were at that point in the passage. Notice my head turned to the side, not by choice, and you can see how I would rest my cheek on the rocks. You can also see how difficult it is to look ahead of me. My arms are pinned to my side, and I later determined that would be the best position. Uh, there's virtually no space between the top of the passage and my back. Tight. Not for the claustrophobically inclined. <clears throat> when I reached the point where my back was rubbing and I could feel with my head the passage was not getting bigger, I knew it was most likely not going to get through still. I decided to give it one more push. If I had been in this position a year ago, I would have been in a state of panic. But not today. I was pretty pumped. It took a few minutes to rest, and then I went for it. I exhaled completely all of the air in my lungs. This caused my chest to collapse enough to scoot forward a few inches. Because it takes so much effort to scoot, I only went a few inches before I had to stop and breathe. As I inhaled, my chest pressed hard against the floor and my back against the top. It took a little longer to get my breath back. Unbelievably, I did it again. Exhale, scoot, rest, again. Only a few inches, repeat. I took a few extra minutes to enjoy this position, penned in the small passage. Wow, I could not believe how relaxed I was. I tried one more time to exhale and scoot. My back was rubbing too much to continue. Despite the failed effort, I was psyched. I took several long minutes to lay there and recover from the effort. B had been encouraging me the entire time. It was fun to hear him cheer when he saw my shoes go deeper and deeper into the hole. Backing out was not too difficult, but it did take some work. I encountered the same obstacles as when I went in. After wiggling my hips out of the hole, which took some time, I had trouble getting my shoulders out. Both arms were overhead at this point. My shirt was getting caught on the rocks, and my shoulders were brushing the sharp rocks. After struggling to find a good position, I gave up and just pulled my upper body out. Scrape! My shirt pulled up over my head, and I had some nice scrapes on my shoulders, but I, I didn't care. To me, this trip was a success. I had pushed myself beyond what I thought was possible. I kneeled at the entrance and I looked into my narrow passage I had just been in. The rock wall was now at the 11 foot mark. I had pushed it a little with my forward arm. The smallest point was at the 9 foot mark. We were close. Between the work and the excitement, I was tired. I just sat on the rope bag, grinning. Whew! What a trip. Quick note. 
The rest of the journal entry talks about the usual, our climb out, dinner, trip home, etc. On our way home, we brainstormed and came up with some ideas that would help us get through. Uh, we both uh, invented some tools to remove the rock on the floor deep within the passage. We were both ex very excited about this trip, I from pushing my limits in the cave and B from his success in climbing out of the cave. This was the first time he was able to climb all the way out without the help of climbing devices, nor my help. It was a personal success that showed the progress he has made since his accident. I think that's pretty cool. I remained amazed that we could so easily forget the terrifying moment we experienced just the day before. All had been forgotten, with the strange noise being blamed in our minds on some rational, harmless explanation. A quick note before we start this one. Uh, prior to going back out of the mystery cave again, we spent a lot of time preparing. We made a squeeze box, which is a wooden box uh, that has an opening which can be adjusted in size. We could then crawl through the opening and measure to see how tight of a squeeze we could fit through. From what we were able to determine that I needed about 8 inches in height to get through the smallest portion of Floyd's tomb. That meant we would have to scrape out about an inch from the floor of the passage. We also learned that the best position I would need to go through the passage would be on my stomach with my arms by my side, and of course my head would be turned one way or the other. That position allowed my shoulder blades to drop to their lowest point. In order to move, I would push forward or backward with my toes. It sounds difficult, but felt adequate. Uh, later it proved to work sufficiently. <clears throat> The second thing we did to prepare was to construct the tools we invented to work with in the cave. I came up with a clever way to chip away the inside of the passage without having to climb inside. I had my neighbor weld together several lengths of steel pipe in a manner that would allow us to take it apart while we climbed down to the tomb. We made our own tips that we could screw into our pipe to reach the area we needed to work on. B came up with a cool design for a scraper using an angle iron. He had his neighbor welded together. It proved to be an invaluable tool for scraping and removing rock. We were both proud of our inventions. I also made a device to hold my drill that attached to our pipe. We ended up not using it since B's scraper device worked so well. I took an oath. I made a vow. I would not leave this cave until I had made it through that passage. Conquered Floyd's tomb. This would be the trip. It had been a long time since we had been out to mystery. We had been busy though. We had made the tools we had talked about. It was fun coming up with the ideas for the tools. Also, we made a squeeze box to determine the best technique for getting through the tight spot. Plus, we knew about how much rock we needed to remove before we could get through. We were excited to get back out to the cave to finish our project. Our climb down to the passage took a little bit longer than usual since we had extra tools to carry. Once we got down the passage, we immediately got to work using B's scraping tool with the pipe I had made. It worked like a charm. We could hammer the pipe on one end and the scraping tool on the other end dug into the rock. Then we could push the debris away all through the passage and out of our way. When we need to measure our progress, we would turn the scraper sideways into the passage and observe the clearance. We worked for about two hours before I had desire to try the tomb. I just wanted to make sure I was going to make it through on the first try. B made one more sweep of the passage floor, clearing any loose rocks from where I would be crawling, and pushing the wall we had made to the back of the squeeze. I made preparations for the crawl by fashioning duct tape suspenders to prevent my shirt from sliding around while sliding across the rock. I went with a flashlight in my hand, even though my hand would be at my side. I knew I would need it once I got through. 
As an expression of faith, I did not tie a rope to my feet. I was confident I was going to make it. Finally, I made the attempt. Quick note, although I didn't mention it in my journal, we did notice the breeze was back and the rumbling was present. Since we didn't do any work to the entrance, I had to go through the same dance routine to even enter the passage. Once I got my upper body through the hole, I shined the flashlight ahead of me to work out a plan of attack. The passage didn't seem any bigger than the last time I was there, but most of the work was done deeper in the squeeze. I paused for a few minutes, then twisted my hips to get my lower body in. I slowly inched forward, and my entire body filled the passage. Before I was completely in, I got into position for the push. I dropped both of my hands to my side and I turned my head to the right. Then I began to inch forward. Once my toes were in the cave, I used them to push forward. To keep from scraping my body, I would walk using my shoulders, knees, and toes. Progress was slow but steady. That was fine by me. A foot or two before the tight spot, I could already tell there was a little more room. Even so, I began to touch the roof of the passage with my back. This time, however, I was able to continue moving forward. I reached the lowest point in the passage and I could tell it was still going to be tricky. Even with the work we had done clearing out the loose rocks, I still felt sharp pebbles rolling under my chest as I slid along. <clears throat> when I could feel my back brushing the top of the passage in several places, I reverted to my technique of exhaling. Before I began, however, I took a minute to lay there in the passage. I could see the glow of B's flashlight as the rays of light managed to squeeze past my body. I could feel the cool breeze evaporate the drops of dirty sweat on my forehead. I could feel a thousand sharp edges digging into the surface of my skin. I felt the twinge of excitement as I realized that the goal we had set out to achieve weeks ago was about to be realized. This thought alone made me want to keep moving, no matter how tight the passage became. I breathed in and out rapidly for a few moments, then began. Exhale. Scoop. Stop to catch my breath. Repeat. After just a few inches of scooting, I could raise my head off the floor of the squeeze and tell that the passage was beginning to open up. I relayed this information to B and we both took a few seconds to celebrate. During the rest of my slide through the passage, B was cheering me on, Virgin Passage and Neil Armstrong Territory were the phrases that we kept repeating. I was grinning ear to ear. Even though the passage was beginning to get larger, it was still slow going. I had to continue scooting along for another foot and a half before I could slide my arms underneath me to use them to crawl. At that point, I felt my journey was essentially over. I was able to sit up slightly and move the rock wall we had erected several trips ago. These rocks served as a somber reminder that a little caution would be wise. I shouted back to B that I was through. We both took a moment to congratulate ourselves on our success. B would likely never be able to squeeze through the passage and see what I was seeing, so I gave him a description of what it looked like. At this point, I only had my mini-mag, so I could not see very far into the passage. The end of the passage made a gentle right turn and seemed to go for a ways. I was unable to do anything at this point but sit due to the size of the passage. All of the broken rocks we had pushed through Floyd's tomb were around me at this point. There were no other signs of human intrusion. I had to wait until B passed me my helmet light to get a better feel for the cave. B used the pole we had made to slide me the end of a rope. Then I was able to pull all of my gear through the squeeze. The first thing he sent through was my helmet and light. After I got the light fired up, I was able to see our new section of cave. Ours! 
It was an exciting experience to see the result of hours of hard work over the course of several weeks, and at this point we still had no idea what the cave had to offer. The only thing I could see was the passage immediately following the squeeze. It was a narrow passage with a low ceiling. I would easily be able to get through it, but I would have to crawl. I began taking pictures so I could show B. I asked B how far he thought I should venture into the new cave in light of the strange events that had occurred. For the first time, he too toned down his enthusiasm as he remembered the noises. He slid the pipe through the tomb with a loosened tip on the end. He said I could use it as a weapon if I ran into an animal or... He also told me to make sure we could hear each other as I progressed into the cave. Uh, Another quick note, even though we were at least thinking of the possibility of running into trouble, we never really considered the fact that if I got into trouble, B would never be able to rescue me. And in fact, no one would be able to get to me for many hours. If I were in serious trouble, as in hurt, there was no way anyone would be able to get to me in time. But, symbolic of the whole experience, we were focused on our goal and the potential dangers we faced, so far we can, you know, dodge the proverbial bullet. So far. I strapped on my gloves and knee pads, grabbed my camera, and began my adventure. I crawled through the passage, which was about 20 feet long, and at the end of the crawl the cave bent slightly to the right. I would have had to climb up a gentle slope, but then I would be able to stand by the end of the next section of cave. The next section was about 40 feet long. In addition to having a higher ceiling, the walls were a little wider than the section I had just crawled through. Both sections were relatively straight. The floor was covered in rock which crunched as I crawled and then walked across it. The walls were basically the same as much of Mystery Cave except pristine. It was obvious no one had ever been there before me. Upon closer examination of the walls, I found two delicate types of formations. The first resembled several trunks of grated cheese tied together on one end, with the rest of the cheese just flopping down. The second formation was just tiny strands of rock thinner than human hair. It looked pretty cool. I found several examples of both kinds of formations. I was not even through the second section of the cave, and I could barely hear B. Cave passages are not very acoustically friendly. I shouted to him that I would go for a half hour, then return. He said that would be fine and to be careful. Then I proceeded to explore some more. I could walk nearly upright at this point. I was on the third section stri- I was on the third straight section of the cave when I discovered a crystal formation on the wall to my right. It was in several layers on the wall, resembling clear candle wax that was allowed to melt and drip down the wall. There were several small stalactite-looking formations formed by these crystals. The longest was about four inches in length. There would have been one much longer judging by the size of the base, but it had just broken off. I looked to see if I could locate where it ended up, but I couldn't find it. The passage continued on for another hundred feet or so before the cave opened up a little. It was at the end of a short straight segment of the cave, and at the very end of the segment the cave made a bend to the left to open up into a room. Just at the point where the room began there was a round rock that appeared to be leaning against the wall. This seemed kind of odd, but singular formations are common in caves so it is by no means unique. I had crawled and stepped over several large chunks of rock that fell down from the ceiling, but this one was more round than the others. Once past the rock, the room opened up to a height of about 15 feet. It was about 15 feet in width and about 30 feet in length. At the far end of the room, there was another passage leading straight out. As I entered the room, I had an eerie feeling. It was like the old saying that I felt like I was being watched. 
Once again, the excitement of new find faded, and the memories of the mysterious side of the cave crept back into my mind. Suddenly, I felt very alone. Fortunately for my ego, I was nearly out of time and had to get back to B before my half hour was up. I took several pictures of the room. I was going to just get a feeling for how long the next passage was when something caught my attention. On the left side of the room of the wall, at about eye level, I discovered what appeared to be hieroglyphics. It was a single drawing that almost appeared to be just part of the rock coloration. It looked like a very crude representations of people, standing below some sort of symbol. I was pumped. This meant that there had to be another entrance to this cave. Even if the entrance was closed or blocked, it might mean an opportunity to open it and get B into the cave. I took another look at the drawing to make sure I could describe it to B. Then I took some more pictures and headed back to B. When I got back to the squeeze, I could barely talk fast enough to let B know everything I had discovered. He was just as excited to hear about our newfound treasures. As we debated what our next move would be, I began to send my gear back through the tomb to B. I told him it would be best if we got someone else to come back with me in case something happened. He agreed, and once I got all of my gear through, I was faced with the wonderful task of having to negotiate Floyd's tomb again. Another quick note, theoretically a person should be able to get out of a passage he just crawled through by simply reversing what he just did. If he contorts his body a certain way to get in, he should be able to get into the same position to get out. In practice, this may not prove to be possible or practical. Such was the case with the tomb. I determined in advance that I would attempt to go head first back through the squeeze. I knew that I could definitely make it by going feet first, but that would mean backing up all the way through the tomb. That would take a long time and be very exhausting. My only concern in going head first was that when I got to the end of the squeeze, I would have to get through the hole he had made without the benefit of being able to twist my body. Oh well. I chose to go head first and deal with the exit when I got to it. I started into the squeeze very close to the tight spot, so at least I would have it over with soon. It turned out to be tricky getting through. I had to shift my hips to the right a little to get through, but I just kept plugging away at it. My hands were once again by my side. My head was turned to the right, and I was scooting with my toes, and once again I was using my head as a gauge to tell when I was at the tight spot, then when I was past it. I seemed to get tired a little quicker on the way out, must have been from all the work we had done to get through. I was a little over halfway through when something bizarre happened. I was laying there, taking a brief break, when I heard a sound deep within the cave. It was the faint but distinct sound of rock sliding on rock. My blood froze in its veins. I couldn't move. I just lay there, straining to hear that sound again. Nothing. I quickly began to scoot toward the exit. I didn't mention the sound to B, but I did recall one of our earlier trips when B said he heard the same thing. The task of getting out of the hole turned out to be as painful as I thought it would be. I had to put my arms overhead and force my shoulders through the hole. It definitely left some skin behind as I slipped through. B helped me as I wiggled my upper body out of the passage. Then I could catch myself and ease my lower body out of the tomb. I was out. B and I shook hands and began to load up our gear. I was trying to listen to any sounds coming from the hole, but we were making too much noise gathering our stuff. As much as I looked forward to getting into the passage, it was a relief to get back out. This is pretty much how I felt about caves in general. I love to go in, but I feel good when I get back out again. Quick note, 
Something strange happened with the pictures I took in the new part of the cave. The picture I took in the passage leading up to the large room all turned out just fine. Strangely, none of the pictures taken in the room turned out. Pictures of the round rock and more importantly pictures of the hieroglyphics I saw. Pictures taken before and after the room turned out great, but the negatives of the photos I had taken in the room were clear. Nothing. I remember what the hieroglyphics looked like, so I drew a picture uh, to give you an idea of what I had saw. Only a couple days elapsed before B found someone who wanted to explore the passage with us. B told me he had talked to a few other people who couldn't make it because of scheduling conflicts. He said they really grilled him for information about the cave and the passages. He would not tell them which cave it was to ensure that we explored it to our satisfaction before we made it known to the public. Even the guy who ended up going with us did not know which cave until we were very close to it, and he was sworn to secrecy that he would not reveal the location of the cave to anyone on the planet. I won't identify him by name, so I'm just going to refer to him as Joe. Joe, B, and I set out early in the morning to make sure we could spend all the time we wanted in the new passage. When we got to the cave, we were able to rig up and descend rather quickly. It helps when you don't have to haul half a hardware store down into the cave. Joe was impressed by our work. Even B and I took a minute to pat ourselves on the back for all the hard work we put in and for the fact that we made it through. Joe was a rather thin caver who has had a lot of experience in caves. He said this might be the tightest squeeze he's been in, but it didn't bother him. I knew that physically he would be able to make it, since I was bigger than him and I made it. He was just as excited as us to get through the cave and get to caving. Maybe more. He quickly got ready and he was waiting to hear what the plan of attack was going to be. I figured I would send him through first, since he was ready and I would follow. B would pass our gear through and wait for us on the outside of the passage. B would give us two hours to return. That was nice of B to go down into the cave and babysit us. It gets boring sitting there in the cave. With our plan set, we were ready to roll. <clears throat> Quick note. It was perhaps irresponsible of us not to tell Joe about all the unexplained events that occurred in the cave until after he had gone through, uh, but what exactly do you tell someone? How many of the weird things did we need to, you know, reveal to him? We did not feel that we were in any danger or we would not go into the cave ourselves, so we did not tell him a thing prior to entering Floyd's tomb. Of course, when we did tell him afterwards, it was too late. I couldn't believe how easy Joe slipped through the passage. He said it was tight, but it sure didn't look like it. Once he got in, we passed him his gear, then started in. Even though I knew that I could fit through it, it was still a slow trip through the tomb. You can only go so fast when you're scooting with your toes. When I reached the tight spot of the squeeze, I had Joe snap a picture of me. I thought it would make a good photo. Once I got through, B started to relay my stuff to me. That's when disaster struck. I had gone all the way in and turned around to pull my gear through. I had to kneel down and still crouch down low. I had just got my helmet, ironically, and light, and was turning around to feed the rope back to B when I smacked my head on top of the passage. Human skull versus solid rock. The rock won. I told B what had happened, so he sent me my first aid kit through. I was bleeding, but even worse, I didn't feel too good. I patched myself up and told Joe I didn't think I'd better continue. He looked like a little kid who was told that Christmas was canceled. Although I didn't like the idea of him exploring the cave without me, for selfish reasons of course, I wanted him to at least see part of the cave for making the trip out here. I told him how far to go and how long it would take, then I sent him on his way. 
As I laid there, I could hear him crawling into the darkness. His light disappeared after the first turn. I rested a minute or two, then began my journey back through the squeeze. It was disappointing to get all the way to the cave and then not be able to explore it to its end. Actually, it's killing me. After I got through Floyd's tomb, which was painful, I sat down and munched on a cliff bar while B and I chatted. I told him I would even pay for a motel room if he would stay overnight. Then he could see how I was doing the next day and make another attempt at the cave. I felt goofy for having smacked my head on the cave wall. B said he was willing to give it another try tomorrow. He was just as anxious to put some closure to the cave. As long as Joe would stay overnight, we determined to wrap things up the next day. Once this was settled, we just sat back and enjoyed the darkness. We could hear no sounds coming from the passage. The silence reminded me of the scraping noise that I had heard last time we were out there. I brought up the subject with B. Since I had not explored the cave completely, I could not offer any explanation of what could be making the scraping noise, or the change in the wind strength, or the rumbling, or that terrible scream that we had heard. Suddenly, we both wished we had not sent Joe into the cave alone. B went to the hole and yelled into it. Joe! Not surprising. You just can't hear each other when you're that far apart in a cave. We nervously awaited any sounds. Good sounds, that is. Joe-type sounds. The 20-minute time limit we had set passed, then 25 minutes. I really had no desire to climb back through that squeeze. My head was still throbbing and the squeeze looked even tighter than ever. Still, I knew I was going to have to make sure Joe was safe. Just as I was getting prepared to go back through, I saw a light deep in the passage. Joe? I called out. Nothing. Joe! Still no answer. The light got brighter and I could hear the noise of someone crawling across the broken rock that lined the cave. You okay, Joe? No, was his weak reply. When he got to the other side of the tomb, he said he was not feeling well. He quickly took his gear off and put them in the bag so we could pull it through. As I pulled the bag through the passage, he began to climb back through the tomb. We didn't even get a chance to question him about what he saw before he was coming back through. He quickly slipped through the squeeze and the hole and then finally got a look at him. He looked terrible. His face was pale, he was out of breath. The dust that covers the floor of the squeeze left its mark on his face and clothes. He had numerous small cuts and scratches on his face and arms, probably from his rapid exit from the passage. His eyes were open wide. We only had a brief moment to look at the change that had occurred to Joe before he started to head up and out of the cave without saying a word. While Joe and B started for the surface, I took a minute to gather our gear. Then I stopped to listen into the passage. I heard nothing, and I felt nothing. The wind had stopped. Part of me wanted to get out of the cave as fast as possible. Another part of me wanted to immediately climb back through the passage to find out what made this cave tick. Then was not the time, though. I still felt a little dizzy from my injury, and at that moment I noticed B and Joe had made good time getting up the cave passage and I was left alone. Chills ran through my body as I scurried to catch up with them. Once we got outside of the cave, I figured we'd be able to find out more from Joe. But when he got up to the final climb, he just unclipped from the rope and went straight to the truck. In the light of day, he looked even worse than in the cave. B and I gathered up the rope and our gear and headed for the truck. Joe said he did not want to stay overnight because he felt terrible, and we believed him, so we headed home. We couldn't get no more information from Joe. He just stared straight ahead. He was shaking like a leaf, and he said he wasn't cold. When we tried to question him, his answers were short. I asked him if he saw the hieroglyphics. No. Did he hear us yelling? No. 
Do you see the round rock? No. Do you see the crystals? No. He said he just went a little ways in and started to feel sick. Something was fishy about his answers. He would have had to seen the crystals if he got far enough into the cave that he couldn't hear us yelling. But why would he not elaborate? Last note, uh, the rest of this trip passed in an eerie silence. Joe didn't say much else. We gave him a brief outline of the strange events that happened in the cave. He didn't reply. As we were dropping him off, we asked if he wanted to go back in the cave. He shook his head and ran into his house. I tried to call him later in the day and the next day, but only got his voicemails. <clears throat> do we just fucking kill it? Do we just do it? Is, is the that the last one? one? Yeah. Yeah, it might as well be the last one. Okay, I need a minute. Okay. Let me stop recording. April 28, 2001. Quick note, in this journal entry I discussed briefly the feelings B and I had at this point. I would like to elaborate on those feelings and set the mood for this part of my journal. I hope I can successfully convey our exact thoughts and feelings as we contemplated our next move. If not, I'm afraid we'll appear to the average reader as being ignorant, naive, or downright foolish. This cave represented to us the culmination of weeks of hard work, complete with an array of emotions. From fatigue to fear, anticipation to pain, from frustration to glory. To us, we were not standing on the brink of possible destruction, but rather honoring an unspoken commitment. Much like a parent of a wayward child, we were not about to abandon our child out of fear of the unknown. Like it or not, this cave had become a part of us, and now we must see this adventure to its fruition. Additionally, verbose explanations aside, we were being eaten alive with curiosity. Despite the overwhelming number of unexplained occurrences we experienced, we had to go back into this cave. What was making the rumbling noise? What caused the change in the wind strength? Etc. Etc. all the way down to Joe. What could have possibly happened to him? What did he see? Or experience? We had many lengthy discussions about what our next move would be. We kept coming to the same conclusion. We had to return to the cave. We could offer no possible scenarios that would solve the many riddles held deep within the cave. The only way we could hope to complete the puzzle would be to conquer the cave. We were going back to Mystery Cave. Two weeks after our trip with Joe and we were on our way back to the cave. To prepare for this trip, we contracted the local cave rescue group and got permission to borrow their low-voltage two-way phone. The phone consists of two transceivers and a long spool of thin wire. I would then be able to unwind the wire as I went into the passage and stay in contact with B the entire time. We also thought it would be a good idea to take a video camera into the new passage. I purchased a case that would protect my video camera from dust as well as sharp rocks. I was more than willing to pay the cost of the case just to make sure B got to see the entire passage. My head was doing fine. I still had a light red line mark on the spot where I tried to break the rock with my head. I never went to a doctor, but it was a very painful experience. I have thought about what would have happened if I had been able to go into the passage with Joe. He was a changed man after he came out. I have been calling his house nearly every day trying to talk to him, but he will not answer the phone. 
B called his work and a mutual friend told him that Joe called in sick two weeks ago and hasn't been in since. He said Joe warned his boss he might be out a while. I even stopped by his house. The first time it looked like someone was home, but no one answered the door. The second time his car was gone and there was no lights on. I hoped to talk to him before this trip, but it didn't work out. As we were rigging up the rope to descend into the cave, I felt something for the first time. I did not want to go into that cave. It was not a feeling of foreboding. I was not receiving some premonition. I just had no desire to enter the underground world of Mystery Cave. I didn't share this feeling with B at the time. Even though I had no desire to go into the cave, I knew he had to. So I double-checked my gear and slipped over the edge of the cliff. Right from the beginning, it seemed like the cave did not want us to be there. Nothing went smoothly. Every time we tried to clip a carabiner or tie a knot or attach something to the rope, we had to do it three times to get it right. Fortunately, we recognized this and made sure everything was safe and secure. As we slowly made our way down, we were continually bumping into the side of the cave or stumbling as we walked or dropping things. We finally reached a point where we stopped and gathered ourselves before continuing. Our load was relatively light, but we were taking forever to get to the hole. Finally, we made it. We checked the camera and phone to make sure they survived the trip. We tested everything and I gathered the gear I wanted to take into the passage. Then it was time. We looked at each other but said nothing. Then I turned to face the passage. As I twisted my body to begin entering the tomb, I desperately hoped it would be the last time I would contort my body to enter this claustrophobe's nightmare. The trip through Floyd's tomb went smoothly, figuratively speaking. After I got through, we took several minutes to get everything passed through to me. I got suited up and tested all the equipment. The phone worked like a charm. I videotaped the squeeze and then the first section of the new passage. Since I would be unable to tape while I crawled, my plan was to crawl to the next section and then stop and film some more. I could video what I had just been through and then video what I was going to crawl through next. That way I could get each section from both ends. I was starting to feel pretty good about the trip. I felt a sense of personal satisfaction at being able to provide a way for B to see the fruits of his labor. It was awkward lugging the camera and unrolling the phone wire while trying to crawl. I knew it would be worth it though. The small formations were too small to show up on video. With normal outside lighting it would be no problem, but with my headlight as the only source of light, the effort was futile. The crystal formations turned out quite nice. They were easily large enough and made for some pretty good footage. I took advantage of the film stop to check the phone. It was comforting to hear someone's voice deep within the passage. We chatted briefly, then I unplugged the phone and prepared to continue. The phone resembled an oversized regular phone, more like the ones you would see in war movies. When I wanted to talk to B, I would just plug the phone into a special jack on the spool of wire. The power source was on B's end of the phone, so it was always turned on. The reception was as clear as a normal phone. I continued forward. Even though progress was slow, it was steady. Things were going pretty good until I reached the round rock. Once again, I got this strange feeling, just like the last time. I looked around carefully, but saw nothing to be alarmed about. I proceeded to film the entire room. I got good shots of the round rock from all angles. I got the walls, ceilings, and the floor to the best of my ability. I even got some pretty good tape of the figure on the wall. It was difficult to make out exactly what it was on the video, but you could definitely tell something was there. After I taped everything to my satisfaction, I moved toward the end of the room to prepare to explore new territory. 
At the far end of the large room was a passage that led to darkness. The entrance was about a foot lower than my head, and it looked like it continued at that height for as far back as I could see. I ducked under the ceiling and prepared to see new sights. The walls of the new passage were darker than the rest of the cave to this point. The floor was made up of the same type of broken rocks. The ceiling had the same type of near-perfect arch as in the old section of Mystery Cave. It almost seemed out of place in the jagged atmosphere of a cave. I could only see back about 30 or so feet where the passage appeared to make a right-hand turn. I thought this would be a good place to check in with B. It took a couple of peeps before he answered the phone. But once he did, his voice was still crystal clear. It sounded like he might have been snoozing. Had I been gone that long? He said he was doing fine and that I could take as much time as I needed. I thanked him and hung up. His patience has been wonderful during this whole project. He has spent a lot of time just waiting for me while I explore the passage. I was glad he was still willing to sit and wait. I hung up the phone and started to film the new passage. Then it happened. From behind me, I heard the scraping noise. It was loud. It was close. And it was coming from the large room I had just left. I wheeled around to face whatever had made that noise. When I did, I lost my presence of mind and stood up at the same time. Crunch. My helmet crashed into the passage ceiling. My light broke and I was buried in heavy darkness. Pain shot through my neck and down into my back. The helmet had protected my head, but my neck was nearly numb from the impact. Fear enveloped me and my knees began to weaken. I slowly and involuntarily slumped to my knees. I gently set the camera down as I began to see stars from the pain in my upper back. The scraping noise only lasted a few seconds and now the only sound I could hear was my own panic-inspired breathing. Not only could I feel the fear thick upon my chest, but the darkness seemed to hold me in place. I felt like I was vulnerable from every direction. I wanted to turn and look behind me, and to the side of me, and in front of me. Everywhere I looked, I saw black. Finally, I broke the stupor of terror long enough to reach for my alternate light source, the mini-mag on my helmet. I twisted the light to turn it on, and when I did, I nearly cried. I had forgot to put fresh batteries in, and now I could barely see more than a few feet. Still, it was better than nothing. I immediately began shining the light with all my might into the large room. I strained to get a glimpse of any movement in the room. Nothing. I was shaking violently as I sat there trying to figure out what to do. My mind was not thinking clearly. I honestly thought I was going to die right then in the cave. For a fleeting moment, I wondered how B would ever figure out what had happened to me. Then it hit me like a boulder. The phone! My mind must have been clearing up at that point because I also thought about my glow sticks. Without taking my eyes off the large room, I felt around in my pack for the glow sticks. I found one and ripped it out of the package. I could tell something was wrong by how it sounded. It has been inadvertently broken and was now useless. I chucked it on the ground and searched my pack for another one. I took my eyes off the large room, only to check the passage behind me occasionally. I found another glow stick, broke it to light it up. The soft green glow created eerie colors in the walls of the cave. The stick provides barely enough light to see the immediate area and provided no hint of what lie ahead. I felt the pack for one more light, again without taking my eyes off the room. I felt the third glow stick and ripped it out of the package. After breaking it to make sure it worked, I hesitated, then threw the glow stick into the large room. The throw was perfect, 
and the stick sailed through the length of the room. In the brief moment that the light traveled through the room, I saw nothing but cave walls. The absence of anything unusual did nothing to ease my state of panic. At the far end of the room, I got a brief glimpse of the round rock as the light bounced on it. Then the light went behind the rock and seemed to disappear. I was still shaking, but at least I didn't see anything. Still, there was the noise. I used the glow stick to light the phone reel, and with fumbling fingers I managed to plug my phone into the jack. I put the phone to my ear and heard nothing. The usual beeps to indicate connection with the other phone were not there. Terrified, I pulled the phone from the jack and reinserted it again. Silence. The line was dead. What could have happened? I just talked to B. I found myself nearly sobbing with fear. I knew the only way out of here was back the way I came, but something was there. A third attempt at making contact with B met with the same result. I tried to think of another plan, but I could only focus on the memories of the grinding sound that I had heard. In my weakened state, I slumped against the side of a passage, breathing like I had just finished a race, never breaking eye contact with the shadows of the large room. As my shoulder touched the wall, and a powerful jolt of pain remind me of my collision with the roof of the cave. Despair, agony, terror. I can't say exactly how long I sat there, but my feet were tingling and my knees were sore. The pain in my back crept lower. Although my neck felt no different, I resolved to make an attempt to exit this evil passage. If I knew I waited too long, I would lose what little light I had. I attempted to stand, but did not have the strength. I crawled slowly to the near end of the large room, dragging my pack beside me. Using the walls of the cave, I was able to slowly stand, though not straight due to my sore back. Still breathing rapidly, I slowly advanced through the room. I wound up the phone wire as I went. My eyes were staring straight ahead, straining for any signs of movement. With every step, my light would cast ever-changing shadows on the wall, keeping me busy trying to look at every one. My eyes burned as I realized I had not blinked for many minutes. How many? How long had this been going on? The only sounds I could hear were the crunch of my feet on the broken rock and the wheezing of my breath. As I wound the cord, I could hear the squeak of the wheel with each turn bringing me closer to the tomb. Closer to B. Closer to safety. The short trip through the room took an eternity. As I passed the crude drawing, it seemed to glow, as if offering some sort of warning. I didn't know what the drawing represented, but everything about this cave seemed to instill fear. Toward the far end of the room, I could see the round rock dimly at the far reaches of my light. Something seemed different about it, but I couldn't tell what. When I got within a few feet, I could finally tell what had changed. It had moved. That was the sound I heard. Again, terror gripped my entire body as I realized how close I was to... something. I had no choice but to continue. Still, it was not easy. I inched toward the rock, holding the glow stick ahead of me in my shaking hand, using it to pierce the darkness. I stopped just to the side of the rock and wound up the slack in the phone wire. Then I realized why I had lost contact with B. The rock was now sitting on the wire. I gave it a tug and the thin wire snapped. My only hope of contact with the outside world ceased to exist when that wire broke. I had never felt so alone and helpless. Buried deep within the earth, I had voluntarily descended into my own grave with a casket of solid rock. 
The phone was now useless. I set it down on the passage. My gaze fixed on the round rock, I proceeded forward. My breathing was rapid, with my throat dry and aching and my mouth dusty. With every crunch of the rock below, my feet and heart seemed to stop. No movement could be seen in the green glow of my stick. I got to the rock and peered over the top, seeing nothing, I took several rapid steps past it. When I reached the other side, I recoiled in horror at what I saw. In the side of the passage near the floor was a hole, with another passage revealed. It had been covered by the rock, but now it was exposed. The rock could not have moved by itself. I backed away from the hole and collided with the opposite wall. I had not been paying attention to the pain in my back, but now it came back to me in all its fury. I stared down the newly discovered passage. It went down at a 45 degree angle and continued straight for as far as I could see. Several feet down, I could see the glow stick that I had thrown. It illuminated the passage enough that I could tell the walls were fairly smooth. The floor seemed to be the same way, unlike the rest of the cave. The passage was about three feet in diameter as far as I could see. It would have been an easy passage to explore if I had the desire to do so. Right now I wanted out of the cave and into daylight. I slowly backed away from the hole toward B. I never took my eyes off the abyss. I nearly tripped over the phone wire as I turned to leave this devil's lair. I noticed my mini-mag was practically dead, leaving me only with the glow stick. I wanted to sprint to Floyd's tomb, just hearing another human being would help alleviate some of the fear I was experiencing. As I turned away from the large rock in the hole, I felt an overwhelming sense of panic fill my soul. It felt like a legion of demons were about to attack me from behind. I felt like my salvation lie ahead of me in the darkness and Lucifer was behind me, trying to keep me from safety. I found myself moving much faster than I should have been in that cave. My only thought was to get out as quickly as possible. I passed the crystal formation, barely even noticing this beautiful creation of nature in the green glow of my light. Every time I ducked to avoid a rock, I felt my back scream, its reminder of my injury. When I got to the point in the passage where I had to crawl, I flung myself down on all fours, barely slowing down as I dropped. When my hands came in contact with the cave floor, I felt an electric shock shoot all the way down my back and simultaneously down my arms. For the first time since this nightmare had begun, I let out a scream. I crumpled down and lay there on the rock, with new levels of pain manifesting every time I inhaled. Whimpering from fear and pain, I tried to listen to any other noise in the cave. I could feel the silence pounding in my head. I knew from previous trips that B was still out of earshot, but I was close. Forcing myself to move, I winced as I pulled my body onto all fours and started to progress along the cave. I still held the glow stick in my head, but I had ceased checking behind me. Now my focus was ahead of me. I reached to the point where I could yell to B, but I didn't make a sound. I didn't want to stop long enough to talk. Finally, I reached the last stretch of the cave before the squeeze. As I was crawling toward the beginning of the tomb, I called to B. He answered back. I screamed to him to get everything ready to go. He asked if I was okay. Since he hadn't heard from me on the phone, he had gotten worried. I told him no and to get everything ready to go. When I reached the rope, I flipped off my helmet and shoved it into my pack. For the first time, I realized I had forgot my video camera. It was a fleeting thought. I cared no more about that camera than a passenger of the Titanic cared about a hat or a coat. I tied the pack to the rope and told him to pull it through. Then I told him to start heading toward the surface as soon as he pulled the rope through. 
He asked why, and I screamed that there was something in the cave with us. My back ached with every move I made. I knew it didn't matter, though. I was just going to get through the tomb as fast as I could, injuries notwithstanding. Just as I started into the squeeze, I felt the wind in the passage increase, and with the, the most... Just as I started into the squeeze, I felt the wind in the passage increase, and with it the most nauseating stench I have ever experienced. It smelled like damp, rotting, rancid, putrid death. I almost started to dry heave. I pulled my shirt up over my nose to shield me from the overpowering smell. At this point, B smelled it too. He yelled, What is that? Then he yelled at me to hurry up and get through. I told him I was coming. Then I took a deep breath through my shirt and started back through. B's yelling had intensified my fear and panic as if I needed any help. I knew he could sense the urgency in getting out of this place. Still, as I worked my way through, I yelled at him to start up, that I would catch up with him when I got through. He said he would. He placed my glow stick inside the passage and then began to climb out. This time through the squeeze, I had no regard for the tightness of the passage. I was scraping my face, ears, arms, and shoulders. Every inch of the squeeze meant numerous scratches on my body, but I barely noticed them. My back was nearly paralyzing me with pain. Once again, I felt the rising need to vomit because of the odor being delivered to my nostrils by the breeze. Halfway through Floyd's tomb, I took a break to catch my breath. I was approaching exhaustion, and my respiration rate was through the roof. The top of the passage seemed to rest my cheek, and the floor felt like broken glass on my opposite cheek. As I paused to briefly recuperate, I heard the scraping noise coming from deep within the cave. It continued for several seconds, then silence. I let out a cry which startled me. I was no longer consciously reacting to the noise. The cry was a subconscious response to the fear which flowed through my entire body. In a panic, I began to scoot through the passage. As I reached the largest part of the tomb, I quickly slid my arms under my body to get into position to exit through our hole. I grabbed the rope and pulled with all my might. When my shoulders reached the hole, they lodged, and I was stuck. I dug my feet into the rocks and wiggled my way back into the passage. Then I turned my body slightly and tried again. This time, I was successful in pulling my upper body through. Normally, I would carefully work my way out, since there's a three-foot drop on the outside of the hole. This time I kicked with my legs and pulled my arms and plop, I dropped out of the tomb right onto my shoulder. I tried to roll to soften the impact but was unable to do anything more than take the blow. Strangely, the pain was focused on my shoulder apparently, not affecting my already sore back. I rolled over onto all fours then slowly rose to my feet. The smell is much less intense outside of the passage. I grabbed the glow stick and used it to find my helmet. I began to head for the webbing to climb up while strapping on my helmet. When I got to the webbing, I reached up to grab hold and recoiled in horror. In the glow of the glow stick, I could see for the first time the injuries to my arm. My forearms were covered with deep cuts and scrapes. Much of my arm was covered in blood. The wounds were not deep enough to bleed freely, but rather oozed the blood. In that brief moment that I stopped, I noticed that there was a silence in the cave. No sounds coming from the passage and nothing from up ahead. Once again, the feeling of being alone returned motivating me to proceed. Climbing up the little drop-off provided to be difficult in my condition, having the glow stick as the only light source added to the challenge. Once on top, I scrambled to catch up with B. I was impressed with the speed of his ascent. Quick note, although I did not mention any more of my physical condition during my exit, I was hurting with every step I took. Pain shot through my lower back and in my neck. 
My arms were shredded and my shoulder had a nice gash in it. I honestly believe that if it were not for the terror I felt at the time, I would not have had the energy or motivation to climb out. I was running on pure adrenaline. Unfortunately, the adrenaline surge was about to end. I did not see or hear B until I reached the small area at the bottom of the drop. He was on rope and climbing out as fast as he could. I could hear him moving quickly and breathing heavily. I called out to him and his startled reaction told me he was nearly as tense as I was. He told me to get on rope and start climbing. We both knew that would be dangerous and not something we would ever normally do, but this was different. I stood there looking up at where the rope disappeared into the darkness above me. It danced around as B made his way to safety. He was out of sight, but I knew he was close. I knew the rope was my lifeline to the outside, to light, safety. Behind me was darkness, fear, the unknown. I had the fleeting thought of a movie scene where the actor had outwitted the monster and had reached the front door of the haunted house. Just as he reaches for the knob, he hears a sound behind him and turns only to see. I slid the glow stick into the cord of my helmet and reached for my harness. Then I thought I would let B get a little bit higher while I pulled the rope up that was stretched down into the cave. That would make it easier to get out once we were at the top of the drop. I chose not to wind the rope around my arm since it was sore and bleeding, so I just pulled it into a pile on the floor. From above I heard B warn me, ROCK! and I ducked under the ledge as several small rocks landed on the floor to my feet. I quickly went back to pulling the rope in. I had about half of it in, about 50 feet, when the rope hit a snag. It was solid. There was no way I was going to crawl back in to release it, so I decided to just forget the rope and get my harness on and get out of the cave. I quickly threw the harness around me and started to buckle it. Before I could even secure it, I heard a strange noise at my feet. My pulse began to quicken. I looked down at the rope only to discover to my horror that the rope was disappearing down into the darkness. Something was pulling the rope back into the cave. I let go of the harness and began clawing my way up the rope. The unbuckled harness fell to the floor. Fortunately, I held on to an ascender. At the moment, I could not think straight and began climbing out of the cave without being attached to the rope. I was climbing as fast as my battered body could haul me up. I was in a near panic state again and consequently was scraping, bumping, and gouging my arms and legs. As I climbed screaming to B that something was pulling the rope, he yelled back to hurry up. Luck was with me in that I didn't slip and fall back down into the hole. If I had, I would have just bounced several times against the side of the cave before smashing onto the floor. The injuries would be fatal. Without the necessity of having to stop to slide the ascender up the rope, I made excellent time getting up. I could see rays of light above me coming from the entrance to the cave. That told me exactly where I was in there. I caught up to be on the ledge below where our rebelay point was fixed. I told him to keep going. It would only take him a few minutes, but every second would be torture because I had to wait for him to get up. I watched the rope that we had just climbed up. I expected to see some creature from deep within the earth climb up and make me its lunch. The rope moved around a bit, in rhythm with bees climbing, but did not appear to have any tension on it. As I stood there waiting for B, I kept watching the rope for signs of anything bizarre. I didn't know if my heart could take any more stress. I could not have been more wired. I tried to relax a bit and make sure I was thinking rationally, but my poor brain had reached sensory overload. As B reached to the top of the last climb, I got ready to clip on my ascender and get my sorry butt out of there. It was then that I noticed that the rope began to tighten from below. I could feel the tension on the rope, but it was a steady tension, not like someone was climbing up. Either way, I wanted out of there as fast as possible. 
I clipped on and scrambled up the rope. I hadn't noticed, but B had kept on moving toward the entrance. I got up the last few feet in a hurry. I just unclipped and kept on moving, leaving the rope behind. By the time I got to the entrance of the cave in daylight, B was almost up to where the rope was anchored. I wanted to get up so bad I almost started to free climb without clipping onto the rope. I could see B was almost up, so I clipped on and started up. I almost didn't make it up. I had just started up when I nearly collapsed from exhaustion. I managed to recover enough to pull myself up the last few feet. As I climbed, I could hear the tension on the rope manifest itself by the stretching noise in the rope. I prayed the rope would not break with me attached to it. The second I reached the top, I unclipped the ascender. I could see B kneeling down by the tree, so I limped over to him and collapsed. For the first time since I went through Floyd's tomb, we could see each other. We just stared. I knew I looked pretty bad, but I didn't know that B was in such bad shape. He had cuts and scrapes on every exposed surface of his body. His face was pale, almost white. His mouth and eyes were wide open. He was breathing heavily, almost gasping. The shock we shared at the other person's appearance was broken when we heard the rope around the tree stretch and the knot be had tied tighten. I was frozen in place, overwhelmed with fright. B seemed to be transfixed on the knot. Then in one motion, he produced a pocket knife and began to work on the rope. It's amazing how a person's state of mind can alter the perception of time. I'm sure it only took four to five seconds to sever the rope from the tree, but it seemed like an hour. When the rope was cut, the knot fell to the ground. While the end of the rope ziplined across the rocks and over the edge of the cliff, the speed of it causing a humming noise as it went. As soon as the rope was cut, B let out a cry. He dropped the knife and fell backward. Watching the rope fly over the edge brought the feelings in the passage back to me. I got up and headed towards the truck. I noticed B was still laying there wide-eyed, staring at the point the rope disappeared. I called to him which seemed to break his trance. He got up and hurried away from the tree, the cave, the nightmare. Neither of us said a word the whole way home. Last note, it's now four days after our trip to the cave. It has taken me four days and dozens of attempts to get this entire experience written in my journal. Every time I start to write, I recall the terrible feelings I had and couldn't write anymore. I felt compelled to continue, so as to document the unbelievable events while all of the details were fresh in my mind, I can still feel the pain, still smell the stench, still experience the terror. Even typing from my journal has taken hours. I would like to write more, but it will have to wait. Even now, with several days between me and this event, I can't relax. I can barely concentrate. That's all for now. It has been three weeks since our last visit to the cave. I want to update everyone as to my condition, my plans for the cave, and the events of the past few weeks. I apologize for not returning your phone calls. I've been getting all of your messages. I just haven't felt up to calling back. Steve and Mark, thanks for your words of encouragement on my answering machine. I know you two are sincerely concerned for me. You are awesome friends. Mark, I know you stopped by the house a few times, and I'm sorry I never answered the door. Just really helped knowing you dropped by. Sis, I can hear the worry in your voice. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Just take care of those nieces and nephews of mine. I figure if I can get this site updated, I can let everyone know at once about how I'm doing. A lot has happened in the last three weeks, so I'll do my best to cover everything. I guess I should start with where my last entry left off. 
took several days to get the last journal entry written down. I was so shook up from the experience that I could do little else but sit around and ponder what had happened. Right now I'm on a long-term medical leave from work. I tried to go to work several days after the event, but my boss sent me home. I couldn't concentrate and I looked terrible. I've even been to the doctor, but I couldn't tell him about the experience, so I just told him I was under a lot of stress. He recommended rest and gave me a prescription to help me relax. Mmm, good drugs. When we left the cave, I was nearly in a state of shock. I could not think clearly and I was having a difficult time trying to understand what had happened. I didn't eat much, nor did I get any sleep. I was glad I had the presence of mind to write down my experience while it was fresh in my mind. As I reread what I wrote, I feel like I accurately portrayed what happened in the cave that day. I wouldn't change anything I wrote, even though it took three days to write. When I finished writing in my journal, I felt much better. I guess it was kind of therapeutic. Unfortunately, it didn't last. In fact, it was after then that things got really bad. B and I parted company after the trip, and I didn't see him again until yesterday. I didn't try to reach him, and he didn't try to get a hold of me, nor did either of us try to contact Joe. B just dropped me off after the trip, and I spent the next several days by myself in the house. I tried to eat, but had no appetite. I was restless, but I couldn't find anything to do to take my mind off the experience. That's when I determined that I should write it down, as I mentioned. That helped me a little. But it didn't last. I went to work the next day, but was sent home. The day after that, I had an overwhelming feeling of anxiety sink into my soul. I was depressed and confused and had no one I wanted to turn to for comfort. I was getting all kinds of phone calls from people, but I just left the answering machine take the calls. I even changed the message on the machine to let everyone know I was alright. I continued in this miserable state, eating and sleeping whenever I could manage, until a week after the trip. Then things started to get strange. At first I was hearing the sounds in the house that had no explanation. Footsteps, shuffling noises, creaking doors, you know, the typical horror movie fare. Only the sounds were not distinct. It was as though I wasn't sure I heard what I thought I heard. I would be eating or getting out of the shower and stop thinking I heard something, but the sound would not repeat itself. In fact, if it weren't for the fact that it happened frequently, I couldn't be sure that there were noises in the first place. Either way, I was scared. It was as though I had been caught in a spider web for the last week. Feelings of anxiety, foreboding, tension filled my life. Then came the hallucinations. I began seeing things in a manner similar to the sounds I was hearing. Just a glimpse of something in the corner of my eye. When I would turn to look, nothing. I had been sleeping with the lights on in my room, but now I keep all the lights on in the house from before dusk to after dawn. When I started to see things on a regular basis, I purchased a gun. Got it from an ad in the paper so I didn't have to wait for a permit. I went to the doctor but didn't mention the details of my life, just told him I couldn't relax, and I walked out of there with a prescription. Fortunately, my wounds and injuries were pretty much healed by this time. My back still hurt a little, but the prescription took care of that too. When I was on the medication, I felt great, but I didn't want to walk around high the rest of my life, so I would only take it at the end of a tough day. Unfortunately, the severity of the sightings increased, giving rise to a need for the medication. The flashes in the corner of my eye continued, but then I began to see shapes and shadows. They would be outside my windows, usually at night. I still couldn't make out anything solid, so it was hard to pin down what I was seeing. Soon I began to close all of my drapes and blinds so I could remove the possibility of seeing something. Doing so did help in that respect, but my life was still a mess. My daily routine was mechanical and empty. I would sleep in as long as I could, usually out of exhaustion. 
then I would get cleaned up and try to eat something. I lost a lot of weight, so I tried to get as much as possible down me. Then I would exercise a little and nap a lot. I'd only been out of the house a few times in the last two weeks. The store, the doctor, the gun purchase. I didn't watch much TV because I couldn't concentrate. I spent a lot of time on the internet. I was doing research on caves and cave myths. The only story I could find was the caver folklore about the Hodag. The Hodag is supposedly a creature that roams caves. Two weeks after we went in the cave and a week after I began hearing things, I began to have nightmares. Extremely lucid nightmares. No specific theme on reoccurring events, just plain terrifying. Sometimes I was in my house and someone was trying to get me, only I couldn't run because I had no legs. Other times I was in a vat and someone was pouring a syrup-like liquid on me, filling the vat. I would wake up in a panic. I would stay awake until exhaustion forced me to enter dreamland once again. A brutal routine. It continued for several days until I reached a climax on the sixth day, yesterday. My dreams seemed to be so real I had a hard time telling if I was awake or not. I was beat, really drained of energy and spirit. I was going from the living room to my bedroom in the early evening when I looked down the hall and saw a dark figure toward the end. I thought it was a thief and began to back up slowly. It didn't move. As I was backing up, the lights flickered off and on. Every muscle was tense. I stopped to stare at the figure. Just then the phone rang. It startled me so bad I stumbled over the chair. When I got up, I wheeled around to look down the hall and nothing was there. I grabbed my keys and left the house. I felt compelled to get in the car and drive. My pulse pounded in my temples as I got in and started the car. I wanted to drive to Overlook Point to see the city lights. I didn't know why I needed to go there, but I knew I had to. The closer I got, the more urgent the feeling. When I arrived at the point, I saw something that at first startled me, but then caused me to be more relaxed than I had been in a long time. Joe was there. He was out of his car, standing looking at the lights. We looked at each other. I could see from the tired look on his face he had been going through the same miserable trial that I had been experiencing. He could tell from the look on my face that we had shared the same terrible experience. Our conversation was unbelievably brief. You've been back? He began, even though he knew the answer. Yes. We need to return. Tomorrow good? Yeah, noon. He got in his car and I got into mine. I hadn't even wanted to talk to him about his experience. Obviously, he didn't want to know mine. I drove over to B's house. When he answered the door, I thought B actually looked like he was doing fine, somewhat happy. One look at me and his disposition changed. Our conversation was also succinct. I ran into Joe and we're going back tomorrow at noon. B looked dead serious. He just nodded his head. I asked him if I could spend the night at his house. He eagerly let me in. I didn't notice until later, but every light in the house was turned on. He led me to his spare room. Help yourself. Thanks. I washed up in the bathroom, took some medication, and got the first decent sleep in a long time. I awoke early this morning and came home to get ready for the trip. I thought I would send out this update so no one will wonder what's going on with me. I suspect that by the time most of you read this, I will be back home and will have a great story to tell. I promise that if you haven't heard from me by now, you will very shortly. It is now 10 a.m. on Saturday the 19th. We will be leaving for the cave in two hours. Preparing for this trip will be like no other trip I've been on. For the first time in my life, I will carry a gun into a cave. I will also carry a knife, an extensive first aid kit, plenty of food and water, and a camera. I will take several sources of light and a pad of paper and pencil. 
I will have to take all of my climbing rope since B lost his in the cave. I will carry a good length of rope with me on the other side of Floyd's tomb. This is the first time in three weeks that I have heard any reference to Floyd's tomb. It sent shivers up my spine just typing it. There are so many things I hope to accomplish this day. So many answers I hope to find in a tiny passage hidden from view. Reflecting on the events leading up to today leaves me feeling dizzy. Was all this a bad dream? Unfortunately, I am wide awake and still, in a few short hours, I might face my nightmare. The thought of having another person with me in the passage does nothing to alleviate the fear I feel. I almost chuckle as I ponder a childish notion that we will have to consider. Who will enter the tomb first? Who will lead the way into the dark unknown? Who will decide when to turn back? Foremost among the questions in my mind is, what about the video camera that I left behind? Is it supposed to be able to record in complete darkness? I left the thing running. So what might me find on that tape? Darker questions follow. What if the camera is gone? What if it's destroyed? Although it is difficult to put an exact name on my motivation, I think closure fits quite nicely. I need to find out a few things about this cave. The main thing, believe it or not, is to find the end of the cave. With all of the bizarre things that I have witnessed these past few weeks, it would seem a bit trite to want as a primary goal to get to the end, but that is what I want. To be sure, I will be seeking other bits of knowledge along the way. If, however, I find the end of the main passage and an end to the passage hidden by the rock, I will be content to never return to the passage or the cave again. Never. It would seem to me that crawling headfirst through a tight passage into the darkness is an unnatural thing. Just like crawling up the side of a cliff for recreation. Or jumping out of a perfectly good airplane and floating to the ground. We do these things to satisfy our hunger for adventure. This subconscious desire to conquer our own little Everest. As B is fond of saying, caving is the last opportunity for exploration for the person with modest means. True. Just a short drive from just about anywhere in the country is a cave waiting to be explored. Even a cave well known among the general public can be approached by someone for the first time as an adventure, something new, something to overcome, because it's there. Many of you don't agree with my decision to pursue this cave. I know this from the messages I have received. If I am ever to exit the overworld and enter the subterranean world of a cave, I must now return. I no longer feel that I have a choice. I must return. For my family and friends who are reading this, I say, be at peace. I will conquer this cave, then I will return and update this website immediately. I will include any photos we take in the cave today, and if you stop by the house, I will show you the video I will have. I expect to be home later tonight or tomorrow at the latest. See all of you soon, with a lot of answers. Love, Ted. Oh, everyone's looking at me. Wow, we're back. What an adventure of a cave that was. I felt like the movie <laughs> The Cave from 2005 when we were in that cave with Ted. I mean, we Not weren't there with Ted, but we heard his adventures from this these these videos that he sent us. That's nuts. Didn't that just like really spook <laughs> you out? It wasn't it was, to, it was a pretty spooky story. I will huh? say it uh, is to be fair, to be fair, to be fair. Um that was one of the fucking creepiest stories I've ever had the pleasure of fucking reading. Well, it, it fucking scary. It, it it leaves you with a lot 
like a lot of questions yes! and a lot of like uh, you know like you want you want more but like you know that if there was more it's going to ruin the story kind of thing that's like, that's exactly yeah. it because at the very end you're like i want to know what happens but at the same time so, you're like Mm, but if I've I do, been, it'll ruin the fact that I think they're, yeah, Twitter's what's been on like a weird like theme lately where they've been like if this movie was made in the uh, the mid 2000s this is what the ending would be like and they just play uh, what I've done by Linkin Park kind of like when Transformers <laughs> is at the end of the credits <laughs> yeah. so when they're like we gotta go back to the cave that's the first thing that comes through my head is what, what cut Ted the Caver cut <laughs> It's, it's great montage music for that's sure. what's been going through my head this entire fucking time um, that's fucking amazing i agree i mean great story if there's one thing yeah. that i'm the most terrified about it's small places that you can easily get stuck in i don't understand oh, yeah. is oh, yeah. a fucking rampant here yeah it's I, bad caves scare the shit out of me and i don't know if it's because i read this story a long time ago this story is like like cool Every every step along the way reading this story, I can't help but think about Nutty Putty Cave. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Nutty, Nutty Putty, Putty Cave, Cave is this cave that this yeah. guy got stuck in upside oh, down for yeah. like 48 hours and, and they just had a heart attack. And they just sealed him in. Because of the blood. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just fucking sealed him in it because they couldn't get him out. Is it like 127 hours? Except not a uh, happy ending. Worse. It's worse <laughs> in every way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like that story about the Chilean miners, but they didn't get out. It's worse than that because he's upside down and like losing consciousness and shit. And then they eventually yeah. they just like dope him up with a bunch of drugs. They're like, like here. They're like, go to sleep. Here, yeah. here die <laughs> happy. <laughs> Basically. Jesus. Yep. Yeah, that that's terrible. Like, because like uh, that's a big thing for me is like, I hate, I don't like being in small spots and like small spaces. Like, I've lived in fucking, you know, Chicago for how many fucking years? I've literally never gone up the Willis Tower, which I hate calling it that, but the Sears Tower. Yeah. Because I just, I, being in a in an elevator like that for that much time that's fair fucks me up yeah no that's fair when he's describing know. how he has to like scoot along and like exhale oh. and then and he, I'm like oh no what he happens too th- what happens if you like fit. exhale pull forward and now you're stuck and you can't that's breathe what I was, anymore the whole like, time when he was scooting I'm like holy shit if you exhale or you inhale when you're in a too tight passage and you crush your fucking sternum and and lungs? If you you're sneeze, fu- you're dead. Oh, you're so dead if you <laughs> sneeze in that passage. I, I was literally talking to Alyssa about this last night. I was like, I was like, I could never cave. I could never squeeze through that because A, my ass just too thick. It really is. It <laughs> like, I cannot, could not squeeze through a squeeze to save my life. There's the sound no of way. My ass the See, sound. that's that's the game that I think B was playing. I think he was like, "Yeah, I know I can't go through this hole." I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. The sound of my ass like, oh, clapping together oh, caused the cave so to sorry. collapse. <laughs> the, amount, the amount of innuendos in this that were oh. non, not on purpose. The only thing that I didn't really care for constant. was so the, I I think the story was at its best when it was just like anxiety ridden, like the guy crawling through the, oh, yeah. the, the cave and everything. Yes. But the addition of this like creature, quote unquote, because you never actually see or you don't they don't know describe if it is a creature. It. Exactly. I don't that I think they should have like spent a little I bit think more it's time. Scarier on. that the rock just moves and you don't know why. I, dude, yes. Exactly. Yeah. I'm I'm on the same page because yes, I do love a good gory de- detailed description of something, but I will say the thing that terrifies me even more is a vague scenario about something that is yeah. You don't even know if it's terrorizing. Like you well, that, literally don't even know what it's doing th- to that's them. That's the whole thing. Is like there. There's one specific part in that story where 
he's feeling the rope being tugged. Yeah. And he even he doesn't know what it is, right? And you don't know what it is. Even he just more runs. so that like that get, that instills that fear of like what the fuck is touching my rope, you know? Exactly. Make up even scarier thoughts in your own head. That's true, it's right? Like, like with the yep. wind, like is it, was the wind the monster on the other side of the thing breathing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, that's, that's the thing. Like maybe it was just the wind in the highway. Like that, there's no concretes here, and that's the part that fucked me up the most. I think because well, they, it lets your imagination just run fucking rampant. I, w- I, think, I was thinking about that. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I, I just the like the smaller details. I like he detailed like the the crawling through the cave and everything very well. Mm. But there's other things that I wish he would have spent a little bit more time on, like those hieroglyphics and everything. We it was kind of like a one off type of deal. Yeah, like, no, give me more of that shit. That sounds interesting. Is there anything that else would be in a that focal cave? Point. Mike, are yeah. you saying you don't think this is real and someone just wrote this story? Oh my god, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't, no, there's no way in hell you can think that. Say it ain't so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think that's like... Uh, that, that, so me and Jason were actually having this discussion earlier and I was saying like I'd love to have more Ted the Caver, but then but, there's the whole like mm-hmm. if there is more, how do they ruin it? quickly yeah. Oh, right. like, yeah this would be ruined imme- uh, immediately immediately yeah yeah like do we really need a backstory on what these fucking hieroglyphs meant no nope. we have the you get the one picture you get the you know that something's in there um and one of the things i was thinking about because you had mentioned the the breeze i was wondering if the breeze was stopping because the hole was covered like the second that second pathway yeah. that he didn't go down oh like the monster was standing in front of it no, no, well, no! It was because it was, it was, the round was, rock, oh. the round it rock, covering it. right? The round rock is covering the passage. So there's no breeze, right? So and I wasn't sure, right? And that's you hear. Well, so it would be backwards, actually. So, well, no, I guess no, it, no, it just yeah. depends because you hear the rock slide, the grating. But you only hear the rock slide when there's no breeze. So you'd have to assume so it's that opening. Maybe the breeze, which means maybe they're getting close enough to it to where it's like, ooh, I should open up and let them inside. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. even know, man. There's a whole thing with the the round rock as well. There's a whole thing with the downstairs. Like, there are so many vague details, but that's the thing that makes it so good because it leaves us to sit here and be like, well, what is, what is happening? What is this? What is that? Why is this? Right, right. I like, think that's what we're doing right now. I think there's a difference between reading it. Like, I think reading it was probably better that way. But the, I was listening to it, like an audio book about it, and the guy added all this like sounds and everything where mm. they, they made it seem more like it was a creature stalking them so mm-hmm. i guess like from my perspective it's like i want more of that but yeah. i from your guys point of view it's like no that makes more sense like you're saying like it it's scarier having it in your imagination is it a creature is it just them is it just rocks moving around you never really know but this one that i listened to kind of made it seem more creature based like, so yeah I, I think that's kind of the one of the fun things about this is because uh you know, even though like I've read it before and I've read it again, um, I did like I didn't listen to full audio dramas of it, but I've listened to like a couple bits and pieces of people, and it, it is kind of fun to see like like through that audio drama you get to see like what they think it yeah, might have artist been. interpretation. Yeah. It's like um, yep. so, it's like uh, Beowulf with yeah uh, exactly the, the, the monster at the end. Is it actually a monster? Is it just what a person? is it? You don't know. No idea. It's artist interpretation. Yep. The first time I read this, I thought. That when they got to the end of the tunnel, they were basically just gonna like crawl into a monster's mouth, like this. Yeah, yeah, man. Like I, I was. Hole. Yeah, I was waiting for like the the other shoe to drop, 
And that's part of the reason I think it was so terrifying. It's because there really was no like concise conclusion. Like there's no death. There's no, I mean, there probably was some brain death at some point in the story, but I don't know. It's, it's just super, it's very unnerving, incredibly unnerving. It's, it really works into like the madness, um, side of things, especially like, uh, what is it when he's like, when, when he's first crawling through Floyd's tomb, which yeah, do you guys know the story of yes, the Floyd's Floyd, tomb of yeah, just Floyd yeah. In general. yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's named that because he crawled down there, got stuck, and they basically just sealed him in. No, that's that's the Nutty Putty guy. This is a different one. Floyd's yeah. Floyd's is um, it's oh, kind of no, similar right. to this. It's a Thank it's like a splunker that wants to go down and splunk. He gets stuck and like he's down there for like weeks upon weeks. Yeah. And Oh, that's right. That's right. His, they go like, over that a bit in the story. Yeah. His brother like comes to help him. Yeah. It's a whole thing. And his brother goes mm-hmm. to get him out. They can't. And then they like, they're like, Oh, he's stuck here. Why don't we just dig down over here where we know he's at and pull him out. And they go to dig down there and spoiler, he's dead. But it's, it's a very, very dead, unnerving story. Um, Honestly, yeah, just uh, everything but about it's, it's very, it's very like terrifying. Maddening. It's very maddening not to go off course, but uh, when when he goes to like Floyd's tomb for the first time, and um, mm-hmm. he mentions how he like hears that scream, and then like yeah. he, he cracks the light and everything is just in the dark. He's like, oh, I don't know where I'm at. I got turned around, blah, blah, dude. Blah. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> did you know? Okay, happened. did you did you notice yourself starting to read? Like, oh, you listened to it. Never mind. Did anyone else who read it? Did you re- start reading like faster and faster oh, as the yeah. glow sticks came out? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, dude, the 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 writing was when I when that starts happening to me, I recognize it because that's fucking fantastic writing. Some if of you it can influence how your reader is actually reading the story. You've yeah. got some fucking talent. Some yeah. of I, it. Oh. The first, like, for this being like the first creepy pasta, the writing is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like most of the. Most of the time, I feel like in internet horror genres, like the stuff that comes later, like the analog horror and stuff that has come later, is way better than the originals, and the originals are super shit. I feel like this is written better than most creepypastas or no sleeps or anything that have come. Oh, a thousand percent. We started and peaked, and it's just kind of been like downhill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that this is another thing that I I was thinking about as I was reading this was. Current creepypastas, a lot of them, they try to take the image of whatever terrifying thing is tormenting like the main characters. They try to take the image of whatever they have in their head, and they try to describe it so everybody has the same image. Yeah. The thing with this one is there are no descriptions of the thing that's tormenting them, which means everybody's interpretation of what it is is a little bit different. And I think that's a super important thing to remember when you're writing these creepypastas is allow some interpretation. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to be as terrifying as you want it to be. Yeah, definitely. I'm just imagining a Ratma. <laughs> <laughs> the Ratma podcast is back. <laughs> yeah, Fuck yes. Ratma. Dude, <laughs> Ratma. Real fake. Yeah, let's yeah, do that. Let's do real or fake. Okay. On three. Three. Wait, wait, wait. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> let's see the classic thing that I always fucking do every time this happens. What's real? What what's real fake? Does real mean that all these act- things that's happen? Actually, an important question. Yeah. Does real mean like real means that this guy made a website and the thing we read on the website is hundred percent sure true. A a factual telling of this guy's experience. Fake is that that it's is not. no. Cool. 
I know that seems can super we, simple, can but we agree on that. <laughs> we can. I know this seems super simple, but there have been times where yeah, we're we like, really got to lay I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think the answer to this is that simple, but okay. I don't it's, either. I don't. I, three, honestly, it, yeah. Two, one. Fake. Real. real. Fake. Yeah. yeah I should have said realish. Realish yeah. is what I should have <laughs> gone with. Yeah. Uh, should we start with the outlier? Okay. So. The reason that I think that this is real-ish is because we have a claim from someone who says that they wrote this thing, and it seems pretty plausible to me. So there was a guy who showed up on Angel Fire, which is where this was originally posted. And it's still hosted there. Yeah. Uh, A little while later, like I think about 10 years after this was originally posted, claiming that they were the original author. And they said that this is a like semi-real story about a real cave that he and his friends found. And they went down into this cave and they really did find a hole that they widened out so that they could crawl into. And all of that really happened, except there was no monster or anything on the other side. Um, they say that the cave that they crawled into is actually like a smaller cave that's inside Tempanogos Cave, which is um, huh. in Utah. Okay. So, but my question with that becomes is this person telling the truth? Are they really the original author? Um, or are they just Jack? I don't know why nobody has never gone to this cave and like looked for the hole. I feel like we should do that. <laughs> I, I tried to Google around and see if anybody had gone to the cave and looked for the hole. No one um, has? You guys want to go caving? I couldn't find anybody that has. So, Do you guys want to go caving? No. <laughs> Absolutely I mean, they tell, not. They tell us where they where it's supposed to be. So All right, Matt, somebody you and I, we're going to take a road trip out to Utah. I will, I'm, I'm not I went crawling over this. through it. Yeah, I'm I'll, not, go I'll built, crawl through it. Fuck I'm it. not built for... For small holes, I am, but I'm I, not. I'm not doing that. I like to <laughs> nobody clip that, please. <laughs> I'll go to the hole. I'm not crawling yes, through it. I'll go Says to the, the cave. man. <laughs> Don't clip that, really. <laughs> you just gave me a perfect audio clip, and you're telling me I can't cut that as out. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh. <laughs> "I'll try my best." Uh, like, so you already know what that means. <laughs> so then, does that change real or fake? Like, are we saying this is real? Like, no, I'm sticking with realish. I think it's based on a real. Well, chain that's of what events. I mean. I just think. I it's mean, the picture seems real. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, that, that was. I, I that's guess what I looked at a lot. Then yeah, I agree. I thought we meant like, is there? Did you just see a fucking monster <laughs> or some shit? See, like, this no. is why we explain. No. Yeah. <laughs> This is why I ask the question every fucking time. But it's, <laughs> this is exactly I guess why. Real-ish because yeah, people go splunking all the fucking time and they find shit all the time. And- but this is based off a real cave system, and that's yeah, I can see that. Fucking cool. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, so I'm on board. I'll say real-ish, as in yeah, yeah. this is probably someone did a thing and then they just the glorified ca- it to make a cruel, cool yeah. story. And the the somebody's got to be somebody's got to be the outlier. Somebody has to okay, claim you know that fake. this isn't really this isn't, the real. Okay, this is fake. I'm going back to it. This is fake. None of this happened. This <laughs> guy's just really good at telling a story, and you know why? Because they brought a dog into the play. And I swear to God, these people are like, we brought our dog Whip, and we bring him so we can put him in the hole. 
Okay, that's and then you get a picture of Whip in the cave. That, that's fucked that upset up. me. I'm not even <laughs> gonna lie. Things were different yeah. in 2001, Mike. Yeah. No, the whole, the the whole dog. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna throw this out here. Who the let whole the dog dogs thing. out. Baja Men was around that time. <laughs> hey, did you know that, that song is all about ugly girls in the club? It sure is. Because oh. yeah, once you learn that information, that song is oh. not as innocent as you thought it was. Who let the dogs <laughs> out? At all. Uh, I mean, I, that that's that's. I mean, what more can you say about it? Like, no, it's nothing. one of it's the original creepy pasta. It's written really well. I don't even think they considered themselves a creepy pasta when they wrote it because that probably wasn't even a thing. Uh, they just did a great iteration of what other. I guess stories should really have tried to strive for themselves. Oh, yeah. They set the bar for um, sure. This was a while in the making, and we're really glad that we could have done it for you guys. Uh, it was a really fun, fun time. Um, you know what else was a while for in the everyone? <laughs> for everyone, Doug. <laughs> it was a fun time for everyone. Do you know what else was a while in the making? <laughs> huh? Dilutipod.com or Dilutipod.com. <laughs> also, our Patreon at patreon.com slash Dilutipod, where you could. Again, chip. What are you drinking? What are you thinking? <laughs> There's a bottle here, Mike. Fucking do it, please. <laughs> I'm not going to humor you, but it's your job. All right, we're drinking some. We, we're drinking. What we pay you to do. We're I'm drinking some knobs. This. I'm doing this for oh. myself and because I want to, not for you. Okay. What are we drinking? What are we thinking? There's a bottle here and it's empty. Yeah. 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 It's the small claps that get me. Yeah. <laughs> I I got um. Some of the Evan Williams, the white label. Moot's, Moot's yeah. own. Moot, my guy, oh, that's yeah. becoming a, a favorite, by the way. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> it's cheap. Not I have suggested something someone liked at some point. It's cheap and life. it's 50%. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with cheap 50% whiskey. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's what I'm saying. Bad. That's why we got the knob. Yeah, we, we got, got knob, knob Creek over here. Knob's becoming a go to for me. I'm not mm -hmm. a fan of the maple syrup taste. Damn it, don't um, clip that either. On my glob. You're giving me gold, man. Am, You're telling me I, I can't do... I'm doing things that I don't mean to do. <laughs> You're telling me I can't live my best life, and I don't appreciate it. All I right. didn't tell you not to you clip heard it here first. You not, you not, <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Nob's see, a go-to. See, now I've got two... I don't know who to listen to. Jason, Let's just take the shot. Please right. don't, don't clip. Don't clip me, Mike, saying, I love Knob. Please do not. Clip you, Mike, me, saying what? Me, Mike, saying Wait, hold on, hold on. I love No, 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 I can't. Stop, hold on. There's some interference happening. Give it one second and then say it. Don't don't clip me, Mike, saying I love knob. I endorse that. I endorse <laughs> okay. you not clipping me saying knob. I know it seemed like I, I was setting up the perfect environment to clip that out, but I promise that's clink, probably drink. not what's Boom. happening. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> clink, drink, everybody. We love you. When you hear the dink, clink it, and then put it up your butt. Anyway. Patreon.com okay. slash DeludyPod. You could also go to our buymeacoffee.com slash DeludyPod. It's going to be more booze just like you've seen tonight. Um, you go to our Spotify. Really drive home the YouTube, bro. I'll get there. Yeah. You can go to our Spotify where you can rate us on there as well and comment on it as well. Um, leave us five stars. That'd be awesome. Um, I can't tell you what to do, but if you leave five stars, I would love you forever. Um, you can go to our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff. Um, and uh, you can interact with us we're on there a lot and we we're on, especially twitter twitter's the one twitter's a jam right now but who knows where that's going in the future um that's yeah youtube maybe, maybe join us on thread <laughs> yeah maybe we'll yeah. have a thread soon. who knows <laughs> we'll have mastodon um youtube.com slash <laughs> at diluti pod um go on there like the subscribe and like uh, ring that bell 
uh, do all that dumb shit that we need you to do, please. Thank you. And, please, for the love of God. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, if you join the Discord, um, the Discord is in our uh, on our website. Go to linktree.com slash deludipod. The Discord's on there as well. Um, while you're on the website, pick up some merch. We have t-shirts available. Um, we have other oh, things, yeah. I think. Should, um, should we make a summer line? Speedos. Like Deludy Speedo. Don't tanks look, and banana don't, hammocks. Yeah, yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll have some, like, random exclusive Can, shirts that stay on there for like a week or i'm, something. Gonna, I'm going to design a banana hammock i don't care go. what any of you say and yeah, i i just want to leave you all with a few words of wisdom it be what it do and it do what it be it's how i live my life <laughs> never do anything to anyone for any ever, reason. reason ever ever <laughs> <laughs> doug do you have anything to say to the people yeah uh is it our kind of kind of piggybacking off of? No, 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 no. Yeah. I don't even know that by heart. It's six three zero nine zero nine nine three six six. Did he? It's yellow. Don't worry. Six three zero nine zero nine nine three six six. Yeah, yeah. You want to say it one more time? Nope, I'm good. You could text Perfect. us. We'll respond, or you can send us a call and a voicemail, and we'll play it on the show. So I'm going to piggyback off of Michael what Mike was saying a little bit, uh, where he said it be what it do, how I do, uh, some something along those lines. Be what it do, and it <laughs> do what it be. <laughs> Uh, remember, everyone, uh, we don't endorse kids here. Uh, wait a minute. Spay and neuter yourself. Um, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so I, I know Mike was really driving home that point uh, when he said what he said. So, uh, yeah, remember that. And then uh, when you do spay and neuter yourself, uh, you can just slap in those peens and beans together as much as you fucking want. It bean would it yeah. peen and it peen would it bean. <laughs> Exactly. Mike gets it. <laughs> um, guys, all I have to say is stay fucking paranoid. Uh any of you out there are heavily into spelunking or caving, uh definitely take this this story to heart. I will say caving is terrifying. It like I would love to go do it, but I also know that I have a no. few I have a few things that I myself have to get over before I can do that. Um, all the people out there that actually go and do that every day, holy lord! I, I would rather fucking brave. See a therapist. <laughs> like, yeah, therapy yes. costs way less than fucking caving gear. Like, <laughs> you might as well so much give, less. You might as well give two hundred fifty k to Ocean Gate because it's the exact same. Thing. <laughs> I understand most extreme sports or like doing extreme things like climbing Mount Everest or whatever. Yeah. Caving, there's something wrong with you people. <laughs> it's like, yes, I would like to be trapped between two narrow pieces of earth that might kill me at any time. Seven inches, I could fit through that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> mm. Mm. Even as with a, a bone. Anyway, as a man who's eight true. inches, I know when I'm lying about <laughs> <laughs> inches. Mike, you're the... Well, no, I take that back. Matt. Mike, Mike, Mike and Matt, you guys could probably fit through a fucking... A little, little tiny crevice. Do you have a thing just say to just the people. Be over. Cool. I stellar cool. wise words, <laughs> guys. We love you so much. Thank you so much for sticking around for this fucking marathon of an episode. We love you, goddamn, so much. We had this whole thing planned where we we're going to split this into two parts. Then we realized this is a story. We should probably fucking tell it. So up until you. yesterday, we had a totally different topic. Yeah, so hundred percent. But in true to fashion, uh, it's last minute changes, and hopefully you guys enjoyed this. I know this is a long time coming, but. Again, apologies for the length. Expect that in the future. Bye, apologies Mom. for the length. Clip Have a day. That. Goodbye, Clip everybody. <laughs> we love you. Bye. Goodbye. You, y'all, y'all, y'all suck.
Welcome back to Inner Night. We are honored to have you here with us. To start the night, repeat after me. I embrace change and all the opportunities it brings. When I submit to them, I too will become divine. The present moment is all that truly matters. Repeat those words as many times as you need this week. Now, we have a message in a bottle from another member of Inner Night. Oliver says, Despite gouging my eyes out while sleepwalking, the old gods still grant me vision. I am forever grateful. How inspiring. Your lucky numbers for this week are six. Just six. This week, we recommend embracing the present moment and letting go of past traumas. Attend our workshop on mindfulness to learn how to live in the present and connect with the beyond. Nothing is impossible under the second moon. This concludes this week's message from Inner Night. Don't forget to leave a message for another member and spread the love. Good night. Next time, we know what you did.